This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that wishes that Chelsea could play Spurs every week. Uh, now, after the disappointing defeat to United on Monday, the pressure was well and truly on Frank and the players on Saturday with the arrival of Spurs. Chelsea's top four place was in jeopardy. They can't buy a win at home. But way more important than that, we just cannot lose to Spurs, especially with Mourinho at the helm. Having comfortably beaten Spurs before Christmas, Frank employed the same 3-4-2-1 formation and brought Giroud, Alonso and Barkley back into the fold. And boy, did it work. Giroud put in a top striker's performance. Alonso channeled his inner Carlos Alberto. We'll uh, have more on that later. And could in fact have had a hat-trick. And Mason Mount buzzed around like an angry wasp as Chelsea dominated in midfield. Even Barkley made a decent contribution. Heavens above. Uh, Of course, VAR contrived to ruin it all for us yet again, but unlike Monday, it had no bearing on the result. And all is right with the world, and we went home very happy, and in my case, very, very drunk. Uh, If only we could play them every week. So they've got to be the title of the show tonight is Can We Play You Every Week? The Chelsea Fancast number 493. There you go. Uh, all complete shows, the 493, not not divvied up and pretending to be 493. They're 493. Anyway, enough of me prattling on. Uh, so I, It's time to introduce Jonathan, who I feel I haven't seen for ages. Or I did see very briefly after the game, didn't I? Yeah, it, it, was, it wasn't enough, Chidge. Just seeing you briefly. Wanted never to enough, see you more. Never enough. Never enough. Never enough. Never enough. I know. And you, had, my back. you had Clayton yeah. with you, of course. I did, yeah, Clayton, yeah, Clayton was my guest, and uh, Lynn, who I sit next to, loves Clayton's passion. She says, oh, you should bring him every time, He's got, I love it, I love can, it so well, much. Can, we bring, can we bring him every week, in fact, rather than can we play you every week? Yeah, yeah, bring him every week, yeah, yeah, he was great, as, as I was just saying before we uh, we went on air, um, uh, except he finds Caballero so difficult to watch, and actually hides under the 
the, uh, the under the seat, but there's you know we've got a rail in front of us. He actually ducks down uh, whenever anything occurs. What might might be a, a goal might come from it. Um, so the when the ball was kicked, um, uh, what was the cross was played and the the, the chap um, uh, controlled it very badly. I can't remember which which Spurs player it was um, controlled it. The winger. Um, controlled it badly and it went off for a goal kick but he just was shaking his head for the next three minutes practically so uh, he, he's adopting he's, a, he's adopting the wrong approach because i had this love the lovely bloke who, who sits next to me occasionally called john who i really like and uh he and i adopted the much better approach which is we kept on laughing <laughs> caballero when he kept on trying to give us a heart attack and talking about petta barota but there you go very still in fact barota was worse yeah. Nobody will remember this, of course, not having watched him. But Barota was absolutely bizarre because he would he would rush miles out of the penalty area, and then the four would just go past him, and uh, well, he wouldn't even be anywhere near it. The ball would be would have disappeared over his head within seconds and in the net, you know. So, but uh, you just sort of expected it after a bit with Barota. But you expected that because the team wasn't very good generally. So you did, you did, you did. Now, uh, other than just Jonathan and I, of course, the usual. Uh, uh, kind of Laurel and Hardy of the Chelsea fan cast. Uh, we always have a guest. And, of course, this week, one of my favourites, actually, uh, a, a very articulate man, a great writer, is Liam, now writes to The Athletic. Uh, Liam Toomey, how are you, Liam? I'm very good, guys. It always seems like I, my sort of increasingly rare appearances are timed for significant moments. It's all good planning, good scheduling, Liam. Um, listen, chaps. I've, I, 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 know, I don't normally do this, but it's so uh, apposite to, to read this email out now. I'm just going to read this email out, and then hopefully Liam can respond. But we got a actually, it's a message that I got on Patreon from Joe M, and he said, "I just wanted to drop you a quick note, reiterating the thanks of the countless emailers who uh, thank you." JK and esteemed guests for the hours and hours of analysis and frivolity provided each week with regards to our beloved team. Uh, the most recent episode had me in stitches, particularly when Tony Glover was struggling to keep it together during the email of the week. I would use his laugh as my ringtone if I only had the technological savvy to do so. I can arrange that. Uh, anyway, my only humble request, which you should, of course, feel free to disregard, is for you to provide an ever so brief biograph biographical nugget or two about those who occupy the third chair, so that some of the more recent discoverers of the fan cast can better appreciate them. Suffice it to say that as a stateside supporter of the Blues, I've never felt so plugged into the club than when listening to Eat to You each week. Thanks again and best wishes, Joe M. And I thought, he's absolutely right, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's all right for me and Jonathan. We know all these people really well, so we just kind of just assume everybody else does. But I think we're going to absolutely incorporate this into the show. Not, not that email every week, but um, every week I shall ask, Ask the guest on the show to explain who they are. So, Liam, I mean, pretend I've never met you before. <laughs> who are you and what do you do? Why are you here? Oh, not the first time I've been asked that. <laughs> um, my name is Liam Toomey. I've been covering Chelsea. Well, I've been in journalism since, sports journalism since 2012, but I've been covering Chelsea full time for the last five years. Um, first for ESPN. And since last summer for The Athletic, um, who have come over to the UK and plucked a lot of big names and me um, from elsewhere in the industry. I'm very much the Alexi Smertin of the post-Abramovich spending oh, 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 Fantastic, on. Liam. Love um, and yeah, so I, I covered Chelsea <laughs> for them now alongside Simon Johnson, formerly of the Evening Standard. And we're trying to provide a bit of analysis 
uh, a bit of news here and there and just generally maybe a, a little bit of different insight into the club you all follow than, than you might get elsewhere. Well, there you go. Um, of course, I knew all of that, but uh, obviously our listeners don't. So I thought, Joe, can, can I yes, do it? Can I do it? We know who you are. Oh, okay. We know who you are. I don't. I don't occasionally. I don't know. I forget. I'm going to. I'm thinking of maybe doing a Chelsea special with you. <laughs> no, I'm, why, do, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? Just for you and me and not play it to anybody. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm Martin and you and Martin. In fact, actually, I've decided we're going to get Martin on the Friday show for the international break weekend and you you and he can sit there and reminisce about the 1960s and stuff i'd love it i'd love yeah, it yeah i thought you might uh but there you go um okay go on jonathan if you can be quick tell everybody who you no, are no 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 i was only kidding um <laughs> a, a, uh, here we go here we go <laughs> uh, um, actor writer producer um uh, uh dad uh, voiceover um uh, musician um um, a vlogger used to be. Uh, Sounds like a generation gypsy. game, mate. Is that about it? Is cuddly that it? toy. Was it cuddly toy? Yeah, cuddly Microwave toy. Um, oven. Yeah. Well, what else is there on there? Uh, um, they always belt. used to have a terrible tea set. Yeah, the tea set. A tease true. made. Remember the tease maids? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of going back that far. Um, uh, cardboard, uh, something you couldn't work out what it was. Yeah. Um, okay, the uh, buzzer's gone. Didn't he do well? Didn't he do well? <laughs> I think he did a bit. He did a bit shit, actually. <laughs> Didn't he do go. shit? Okay, that's one for the teenagers. Google it uh, on YouTube. Uh, uh, the generation game. So much now, Chich. That means yes. so much. I now have to put sort of caveats, warnings about everything when I quote. I quoted uh, that Giroud, his previous appearance, had played like before Saturday. Had played like um, the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz, and I had to put. 90, uh, Slightly obscure 1930s film for most of you. I thought I'd better put that just in case. But I like people having to look things up. I like people having to actually go go to Google and refer them because I think occasionally they go, oh, I see what he means. Well, but I think go. people haven't got the time, unfortunately. All right. Okay, let's get on with the, the, the yes, show. get on with it. Get on, get on with, with the show. Uh, on the show tonight, we address the utter farce and disgrace that is VAR and the effect it is having on football and those of us who like to go to football matches without VAR ruining the experience. Uh, in part two, uh, we discuss how Chelsea, Chelsea's change in personnel and system led to another win over Mourinho's Spurs. Should we make this change more permanent and have Giroud and Alonso state to claim to being regular starters? Does the midfield function better without Kante? Or were Spurs just rubbish? Uh, in part three, we look back at a horrible Monday night where Chelsea contrived to lose to Man United for the third time this season, albeit seriously undermined by referee Anthony Taylor and VAR. Plus, is this the end for the hapless Mitchy Batshuayi? Uh, and to wrap up in part four, we've got some absolute belting uh, emails to read out, so we, I look forward to that. Uh, and of course, don't forget, you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7pm by going to Mixlr, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast, where, of course, you can join in the chat by posting in the live chat page, as so many of you do. Uh, loads of you in here tonight. Lovely to see you all. Um, I'm not going to do a name check because there's so many of you in there, but uh, it's lovely to see you all. And uh, Jeffrey Asselstein uh, has just said, evening, gents. Evening to you too, Jeffrey. So there you go. Um, lovely. Now... Um, after this very short interlude, we're going to be ripping VAR to shreds.
Okay, now, uh, Jonathan, because he's, you know, much cleverer than me, as you probably heard in his uh, biographical, uh, you know, piece a minute ago, uh, a few weeks ago, said, Chidge, Chidge, we get so many emails, and a lot of them are really pertinent to what we're discussing, so why would you just shove them all at the end? Couldn't we incorporate them into the main body of the programme? And I said, well, why on earth would I want to do that? But actually, as ever, Jonathan uh, was right. And it so happens that... uh, VAR has been just such a stink fest uh, this week. Um, I've written an article about it. If you if you haven't had a chance to read it, I mean, you don't have to read my stuff. There are better writers available, like Liam, for example. Um, but do have a look. It's on football.london. Find it on the, the Chelsea Fancast Twitter feed. But I, I vented my spleen about it, really picking up from what a lot of people said after the United match, which is, you know, there's no point going anymore if that's how it's going to be. Um but we've got a few emails which kind of cover all bases. So if you don't mind, if you just allow us to read these emails out, then we'll get into the, the discussion about it and what we think. Uh, so I'll I'll, uh, I'll kick off the first one. And I think, have you got them with you, Jonathan? They're, uh, they're, uh, yeah, I've got yeah, it now. You... They're on the end of the other one. Thank you for doing that for me. I was being had too many senior moments trying to find them when they were separate. I, but I, thank you for attaching them. I appreciate it. I aim to please. Uh, anyway, this first one is from Joshua Barrow, and he says, Dear Fancast crew, I hate when we lose. Sometimes we'll totally dominate the game, fail to convert our chances, and then concede out of nowhere. Sometimes the team just doesn't seem to turn up. The players have a collective off day and we never look like winning. Sometimes a well-played match from both sides gets decided by a little bit of luck we happen to be on the wrong end of. These losses all sting, but it's football and these things happen. But then there are games like tonight's against United where the referees play a huge role in the result. VAR is supposedly in place to help mitigate bad decisions by the on-field referee. For Zuma's equaliser, it was a rule it was ruled a goal. But VAR ruled that because David the audacity, audacity to be pushed by one United player into another, he'd committed a foul which meant a clear and obvious error by the referee. Decision no goal. The second United goal was scored by a player who, shouldn't have been, who should have been sent off 20 minute, 25 minutes into the game for kicking out and striking Batshuayi, which looked much worse and much more obvious than the Son incident where he was red carded. But VAR had a look and determined no red card. I don't know what we would have won had these decisions. I don't know that we would have won had these decisions been given. But it's certainly a different game with a United man down and if the equaliser had stood. Qualifying for the Champions League is a big deal, both for player recruitment and the huge sums of money that come with it. There are currently three points separating 7th place and 4th, and only five separating ninth and 4th. In a season where the table is this tight, it's feasible that only one refereeing performance like the one we saw tonight will decide the outcome of this race. That kind of power in the hands of a group of completely inept individuals is unconscionable, and for me much more difficult to stomach than the typical losses one experiences from time to time as a football supporter. Best regards, Josh Barrow. I couldn't agree more with that. Jonathan, you got one from Bob Jenkins. Right. Uh, Bob Jenkins. It's not football anymore. Um, it's not football anymore. It's not football anymore. Champ fans at Stamford Bridge. Fuck VAR. Fuck VAR. It needs to go. Screams the masses over Twitter. But amidst all this, Ajax director of football, Edward van der Sar, posted on Twitter, it goes both ways. This four-worded sentence encapsulates in perfect microcosm what I've been trying to say to Chelsea fans. I recall mailing you, emailing you guys earlier this season with the same mentality as the Ajax director of football. When VAR works in our favour, it's all giggles, laughter or hypocritical silence. When it doesn't, we scream VAR needs to go, needs to go, re-read. I can understand the bias 
being supporters. But after the emotions have worn off and we calm down, can we be a bit more objective? We can't be silent when it works in our favour one week, then be all enraged when it goes against us the next. The issues that most fans express with VAR can be divided into two parts. Firstly, the ruling out of goals. Well, let's look at the two goals that were ruled out. Giroud's foot was offside, albeit centimetres, but offside is offside, according to the law. If it had been Anthony Marshall's foot offside and his goal stood, we would be furious. It's difficult to take some of our fans seriously when I hear this complete idiotic lack of objectivity. Blame the offside rule, yes, but it's not a VAR issue. For the Zuma goal, Aspie was pushed, yes. But if you look at the replay, it isn't a big enough shove to cause him to push Brandon Williams over. Aspie's arms are in an extended out action. It wasn't the weight of his body from Maguire's push giving him momentum into Brandon Williams. If that had been the other way round, where our player had been shoved to the ground and United scored we would have been enraged. Oh, hang on. There we go. The second aspect of VAR that fans dislike is when it doesn't step in to make decisions. I personally believe William was fouled, but he was outside the box in any case. VAR should have been used if it was inside the box. Maguire's kick out at Batshuayi was compared to Sun's kick out at, kick out at Rudiger. The differences are Batshuayi had falling momentum, whereas Rudiger was standing over Sun. And two, Maguire kicked his kicked Batshuayi's leg, whereas Son kicked Rudiger's chest. If it was a, he got him in the bollocks, I, mate. What is he watching? If it was a red card offence, I believe VAR would have given it. It was a yellow at most, which VAR, to my recollection, doesn't really decide on yellow card offences. I'll be the one to admit VAR isn't perfectly implemented in England. I'd be more comfortable with the refs having access to the replays. I'm not a match goer like you guys, so I can't fathom the life-sucking experience you talk about in the ground. My whole point here is to be objective and remove the bias when we review Monday's game. It goes both ways. Well, that's a view. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, we got one from the lovely Shane. This was on Patreon as well. And he says, Hey, Chidge, I just wanted to share a thought about VAR since it's likely to come up after this match. No shit, Sherlock. Which was a delight. Uh, I just want to offer some perspective. I think he's talking after the Spurs game. I just want to offer some perspective for all of us who might be quick to say, just look at the monitor. By the way, I think VAR is awful and could be completely removed from the game and I'd be happy. But think about the violent and abusive history of the profession of a football referee. There are stories of refs being murdered, harassed, bullied. Uh, I don't think any being murdered here, but I get your point, Shane. Um, now, you might say, yeah, well, if they would do their jobs better, but I'm sure some of us suck at our jobs no less than some of those uh, refs. Are we allowed to go on without public abuse? So if I were a ref, that's one way to take this fear of fan player retribution out of the picture. That's a good theory, actually. And I think a lot of it's come out today, actually, that maybe that's what they're doing. They're kind of deflecting any blame that comes their way by heaping it on the, the idiot in Stockley Park. Uh, but have the decisions been made by some abstract decider who no one can throw things at? And then when the decision is made by this abstract entity and everyone on the field goes mad... I tap my ear and shrug my shoulders and can walk home safely from the tube that night. Just a thought. That's an interesting perspective. Last one is from Jeff Jones, uh, Jonathan. Chidge, Jonathan, and respected guest, who is Liam. Love the show, of course, but I'm writing this email to vent. 
You all have shitted on VAR for a while now. We all thought you're all being a little rough until now. I'll start with the ridiculousness of adjudicating offsides. Clear and obvious errors. Is it clear and obvious that a player's foot is an inch and a half offside? No. Please explain to me how a player who's not flagged offside and scores a goal is then punished for having a toe beyond the toe of the last defender. That's not clear and obvious. If the linesman makes a mistake and flags a player offside who isn't, then fine. Bring in the geometric grids. If not, let the goal stand. It's absurd that Giroud's goal against United was chalked off. It's absurd that other teams' goals have been chalked off for similar microscopic offsides. My second problem with VAR. I was going to type out a long paragraph about Maguire and Lo Celso and violent conduct and VAR being inept, but I'm sure you've beaten that horse past the point of death, so I'll leave it at this. VAR is only good if the decisions are correct and they haven't been. Keep up the great work. Keep the blue flag flying high. Jeff J, Atlanta, Georgia, USA. P.S. Why would Marcos cut his hair? Yes, I agree. Why? Why? What's he done it for? But at least it didn't prevent him from being good, which we thought would be the problem, like Samson. Indeed. So, uh, yeah. All right. OK. Uh, I think that's a really, you know, really good spectrum of opinion from some of our listeners on the issues uh, with VR. Now, I, I have to say, my, my article... When I wrote it, I, I, it was quite had quite a cathartic effect on me, and then we had the nonsense uh, uh, on on Saturday with uh, Aspilicueta getting stamped on by Lo Celso and being completely. I mean, that was that was possibly the most shocking decision of them all. But um, you've heard from me and Jonathan reading them out. We, we'll get our thoughts on it in a minute. I want to ask Liam first for a bit of sense and objectivity sanity. and sanity on VAR. What's going on, Liam? What's the point of VAR? Oh, I'm not sure I can answer that. <laughs> I was never, I was never in favour of VAR um, because you know I had an idea that something like this would happen. I, I always feared that when you're talking about decisions like um, you know red, potential red card offences, I always feared that VAR would never satisfy um, the people who had the highest hopes for it because. At the end of the day, if it's not a human making a decision in real time from one angle, which is obviously an imperfect situation, um, it's still a human looking at a screen, maybe from a couple of different angles, but it's still fundamentally a human looking at the incident and making a decision based on rules that are designed to be vague and interpretive. You know, they, they all these all these um, words like like reckless and uh, and serious foul play and things like that. You know, they're all open to, to definition and to, to different interpretation from one referee to another. And so you're never going to get 100% consistency because, first of all, two no two incidents are exactly the same. There's always so many variables in what's happening on a football pitch. So, I, I you know, I thought, the, um, I thought the situation on Saturday with the Celso was a mess. You could tell that it was, even by recent VAR standards, a mess because we got a public apology before the game was even over, uh, which has not happened um, it, since that system was introduced. That I, think, I thought that was actually quite a, a crazy thing for, for them to do because right. the, the, guy who, the guy who was VAR for that game um, was, was VAR for Leicester City as well, Leicester Man City. So he he he's already been the subject of a public apology, which was not his doing. 
uh, sort of Mike Riley apologising on his behalf, and then he's got to do another game when when he pro- probably only wants to go home. You know, <laughs> he's had a bad enough day as it is. I just think it's um, it's a mess of a system. Just to go back to what one of the emailers said about clear and obvious with offside, um, the clear and obvious principle doesn't apply to offside. It applies to every other incident, not to offside. That the the official position of IFAB and of um, and of the Premier League and the PGMOL is that offside is offside. But what's actually happened, and I think uh, Jonathan Wilson, a colleague of mine, um, has made this point very well, is that because VAR relies on or deals in sort of centimetres and millimetres, it's changed the nature of offside, where where level is no longer really a thing. Level now no longer exists because in in the old days, you know, if, if Giroud has half a foot offside against Manchester United, that probably gets missed, uh, or at least has a decent chance of getting missed because the rest of his body is is level. Yeah. Now those things are going to get pulled up, and so those those goals that were sort of marginal before, um, the margins have been removed, and and that those goals are now being being ruled out. But I don't like what VAR does to to games. I don't like what it does to the flow of the game. I don't like what it does. To the stadium experience, and I fundamentally don't think it will satisfy people in the manner that the the people who introduced it hoped that it would. And so I I I personally would like to see it scrapped, but I know that's not going to happen. Good sense from you, of course, Liam. I expected that. Um, I think the, the, the you know just to kind of dig the bones out of that, J.K. And uh, and this is something which I think I know. Well, I know because I've seen you on Twitter ranting about it uh, very eloquently, <laughs> but. Uh, Herein lies the problem. Um, if you've got technology, tech, you know, the, if you take the technology, if you take VIR as a technology, there is absolutely nothing wrong with it. If you put it in the hands of idiots, you'll still get oh, idiotic decisions, won't you? And therein lies the problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think I'm actually pro uh, offside being as forensic as it is because it's like Hawkeye. It shows you. Uh, Hawkeye all the time on the cricket, you know, shows you the ball that would have shaved the stumps and uh, or missed when we don't know it has. And I don't mind that. And I think if offside is reduced to that, um, fair enough. It just has to be done much more quickly. They've got to come invent a technology that just does it instantly so that we don't have the idiocy of uh, of people standing about um, waiting or as Taylor did during the week, deciding he wasn't going to have anything to do with it and attempting to run to the centre circle as quickly as possible, hoping that everything would be fine. Um, uh, and I'll get on to Taylor in a minute. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pro the whole process of VAR because um, it just is being applied, as you say, by complete incompetence. Um, the very fact that you suddenly have this, I mean, you said a point there about um, uh, not being consistent. Um, nobody can be consistent. Um, Liam, well, the reality is, is some of the laws are the laws. And we have an example to Bournemouth game is both goals were uh, expunged through uh, the ball hitting players on their shoulders. Now, it's the the offside, the handling the ball is supposed to be from the um, about a, a midpoint down from the arm down to the hand. And in both instances, the ball clearly hit both players on the shoulder. So for some 
Burke in Stockley Park to decide that they were both handball was just completely wrong. So it's not a question of people being consistent. It's a question of people being competent. And he was utterly incompetent because it's not the law. How could he therefore apply that, that, that aspect of the law to looking at it on a screen when it was obvious the goal should have stood and it ruined it for Bournemouth and Bournemouth consequently um, are probably going to be relegated. I mean, they're not doing that well, but they played pretty well in the first half against Burnley and their confidence will be pricked and the likelihood of them, of them, um, oh, it's three points less, obviously. Um, and I, and I feel for them because they played very well in the first half and that was just sheer idiocy that had nothing to do with an interpretation of the law and consistency which is uselessness as was the stamp on Azpilicueta was useless it wasn't a question of people being consistent they got it wrong completely all of them every single official Oliver who I like one of the reasons I like Oliver is because he's so swift on the on the job like Clattenburg very fit really there makes a decision you think yeah he was there I believe him he's standing five yards away why didn't he see it? The linesman, for God's sake, the linesman, the incident was right down below me. The linesmen are all absolutely scared shitless to make any kind of decision at all for whatever reason. Part of the reason is because they defer to the referee and that has got to do with class and the attitude of the referees to the whole system. There is nobody saying to the referees, you're terrible. You've got to go down a division and look at the laws better. They're just a club of strutting idiots. Nobody questions them. You know, Dean, I mean, what a ridiculous personality. There's no kind of sensitivity. There's no saying we might have got it wrong. There's no debate. The fact they're not allowed to talk about it by Riley. They should be dealing with the general public all the time as American um, base, uh, basketball refs do. But if, if ever you wanted to create a cult of personality, they're all teams. They're all personalities. Give into it. Accept it. They, they, they can then debate what's going on and you'll you'll respect them. You won't see them at a distance. The We've got Moss, the idiocy of Moss, who is unfit, nowhere near, 35 yards away from making decisions. Hargreaves, this bloke appears, there was a game the other day, he just stood in the centre circle. It was like me, me playing Sunday football with a man of about 60, which I used to do, who would make decisions based entirely on, oh, I think that's a foul, I think that's not. Relying on VAR to get him out of it, or re not relying on the linesman. The linesmen are now not even giving ball in and out of play because they're so scared of what, what's happening with offside. The bloke down below me in the Man United game hardly ever gave, gave the ball in and out. He just looked looked at the referee and and Taylor who is such a complete uh, I know egotist that uh, I mean Taylor th the fact that Taylor nothing has happened to Taylor after the terrible decision he made in the Spurs game away um when Alonso was completely taken out by the goalkeeper and he gave the decision pro the goalkeeper and it was only VAR that overruled it the very fact he's about 10 yards away you think how have you been a how have you been a referee for so long that you miss the goalkeeper kicking the player in the head and nothing happens to you you just carry on refereeing they've got to be they've, they've, they've got to be some kind of retribution for this they should go down two divisions there isn't it's a club they're all looking at each other saying oh you didn't quite get it right but never mind have another go it, I'm sorry I'm going on far too long about this I'm just absolutely exasperated um, I mean I'll tell you this story I've told it before when I had a chap come around and do some work for me. He's a football assessor. 
um, during the week on Sundays. And I said to him, um, I noticed that the, the linesman didn't flag the other day when it was obvious there'd been a foul. Why didn't he flag? And he said, oh, it's because he's deferring. He's deferring to the referee. I said, what do you mean deferring? Well, he has deference because the referee is the man in charge. I said, yeah, but the referee didn't see it. He didn't give it. He said, well, no, but he's he deferring to it because he, he is the man. And I said, but that's not the way it should work. The linesman's supposed to contribute to this. It's not supposed to be about deference, not supposed to be about status, but it is all the way down, all the way down to, to third rate referees in parks. It's deference. And this is one of the problems with refereeing is they've all got status and they don't want to undermine, have their status undermined. As a consequence, you're dealing with absolute idiocy. I'll just say Oliver is the bet, one of the best, possibly the best, because A, he's up there. B, he seems to make intelligent decisions. But the fact that he made that decision on, on Saturday with the stamping was absolutely bizarre. Why doesn't he look at the monitor? What is the matter with them? What is the monitor there for? I, I am absolutely aghast. And once again, I am pro VAR because it'll have it cannot disappear because of television. They're trying to flog it around the world. They get all the money from television. And television tells you they made a mistake. Now, and, here's another. And an, breathe, an, breathe. One, one minute, I almost finished, almost finished. Another anomaly. The ball, when it hits a player uh, and goes out for a corner from a shot and the referee gives a goal kick and nothing happens. And it is the decision of a moment. And the number of times that happens when a team is attacking, it should be a corner. The referee gets it wrong, gives a goal kick. And you go, but we've all seen it at home. It's a corner. What, all it needs is the fourth official to go, it hit him. It's a second. It's a second. It's a corner. Nothing happens. It's supposed to be, oh, it's a decision made on the field of play. Why? It is completely idiotic, as is the whole way that they're dealing with it. End. Well done. I, I almost feel like giving you a 21-gun a, a salute, let alone a round of applause. But well done, JK. Uh, your rant has been going down very well on Mixler, I can tell you. Um, I just want to pick up on, well, I, I would like to pick up on loads of those points, but the, the first one... <clears throat> which was when I interrupted you and I didn't realise you still had a, a bit to go, so I'm sorry about that. But uh, no, it was the point about TV, and I think this is the problem for me. Um, I know that there are a lot of people who do think that football actually doesn't really exist in, in, in reality, that it is in fact uh, a game played on a PlayStation or an Xbox called FIFA. Um, but actually, I'm sorry to disappoint you all, it's actually played on grass, for real, on a Saturday afternoon when we're very, very lucky, uh, and we pay a lot of money to go and actually watch it and enjoy the experience and breathe air, you know, that kind of thing. And this is the trouble. It's not a computer game, you know. It's real, played by humans, supported by supporters with passion. The ridiculous... I mean, this is what I don't understand, mate. We were sold this, and I think I think we've been absolutely mugged off here. Because I've, I've spent most of my lifetime moaning about idiotic referees and the appalling decisions they make, getting it wrong all the time. And then having to wear uh, the mistakes that they make and live with them. I've, I mean, I've, I've, had more, I've seen more games decided by poor refereeing to my cost than I've had hot dinners. And I've moaned about every one of them. And I was sold VAR on the basis that, well, that won't happen anymore. Because when these referees make appalling decisions, VAR will correct their so flamingly clear and obvious mistakes that it will make everybody happy again. And justice would be done, not just done, but seen to be done. But none of this has happened. I mean, as Jonathan said, 
fucking hell. I mean, how how he got away with not getting that decision about Lacelso right just beggars belief. And you know what was clear and obvious about Zuma's goal? The offsides I have a different issue with because um, you know to the letter of the law it's right, but that's not the referee's fault and it's not even VAR's fault. It's the law's fault. And actually, uh, I think Liam might have mentioned this, but Arsene Wenger, I love the irony of this, the, the man who never saw a controversial decision in his life, but actually he's put forward a, a proposing a change in the offside law that means that providing any part of uh, the, the, the player, like his, his left boot, if he's right-footed, is you know behind the last defender, yeah. then you know it'll be onside, which is exactly how it's supposed to happen. And here's the fundamental problem that I have with it. Because of their quasi-autistic management of this, and I do wonder about Riley, I think the man is massively on the spectrum, frankly. I agree. Um, but because of this, um, they, they are killing the game. The game is about seeing goals. If you go to... I'd actually, do you know what? Here's the thing. I wasn't at the United match on Monday. I wasn't lucky enough to be in the stadium because I, I had stuff going on down here, so I couldn't go. And I was watching it in my living room. I, I still made as much noise and leapt about just as much as I would have done had I been in my seat in Gate 17 when Zuma scored uh, and when Giroud scored. Uh, so it, it's the same for all of us. It's not just about going to the games. We all have that same joy, that eruption of joy when the ball hits the back of the net. That is why we pay our money, whether it's season tickets or, or pay-per-view subscriptions. That is why we go. That is the point of football. VAR and that incompetent pillock, Mike Riley, are destroying that for all of us because it makes better television i suspect there's a monstrous collusion here between the broadcasters the premier league and var officials and the referees i really do because it's great tv theater it's not bloody good theater though when you're in the stadium and you've just you know almost broken your kneecap because you've fallen down three rows of stairs and then only to find out the goal's been rescinded it's utter nonsense and here's the thing uh, I think something like that the net effect of VAR on goals this season is something like minus 21, right? Apparently, of the 44 overturned goals, 12 of them have been Chelsea goals. I mean, it, it beggars belief. It absolutely beggars belief. And the game is about scoring goals. The offside law will, will change that because, I mean, clearly at the moment, because it's just so marginal, it's absolutely favouring the defensive side, which is complete stupidity. This is why they stopped the back pass rule half a generation ago because, you know, people, you know, it was impossible to score goals. So the whole game is supposed to be about goals and they are killing that. This is over and above all the monstrous incompetence of the referees. Right now, right now, I will go, I will eat my humble pie and feel terrible about coaching off referees for most of my lifetime, I'm praying for it to come back. And I swear to God, if they get... V this, is, this is the pact I'm prepared to make with the devil. If they get rid of VAR, I swear to God, I will never, ever moan about a poor refereeing decision again. I will take it like a man and accept it as the human vagaries of what is supposed to be a human, emotional and passionate game. There we go. I, 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 I'm out. I don't know if there's anything I can say on that. Liam, you're the sensible one here. If there's anything you can say on that to, to, to code of that, then go ahead. Well, just to finish, I think we have to acknowledge our responsibility in, in the world that exists now, the VAR world that we have. The reason why VAR was brought in is because of the deluge of 
moaning essentially week on week about refereeing decisions not just from fans from managers from players there's we allowed a culture to develop where it became just so ridiculous the the criti- the weekly criticism of decisions whether they were right or wrong and there were plenty of decisions in the middle as as are, as are the nature of the the rules that govern the game there were plenty of decisions that those criticizing couldn't even agree on um but that criticism created the the conditions for var because that enabled people to sell var as the solution to all this all of our problems and i think what we've seen already is yes okay i think the technology will will improve over time as technology tends to do and i think um the process will improve over time as the people involved in implementing it get used to implementing it but it will never stop the moaning <laughs> it will never stop the anger it will just be directed in a different place it will be directed maybe at the on-field referee but it will it will be directed at the var and then this sort of anonymous god <laughs> that is now refereeing matches um via a tv screen and i think it it's i think it's I, I think it's really separated more than ever before you know there was always a division between the the viewer on tv and the viewer in the stadium but i think it's it's widened that gulf massively now yeah um, because you as someone who who's in stadiums a lot I, I just see how the atmosphere dies every single time there's a lengthy VAR check. Even if it comes back with a favourable outcome, something is lost. Well, I think I think therein lies the key point. I mean, you know, it's really interesting, actually, what you say there, Lynn, because Chris Foy came out today and said it's going to take, um, you know, two or three seasons for this to iron out all the problems. But, mate, it's too late. My article, my article on Monday or whenever I wrote it, I think actually later than that, but it picked up on everybody's reaction on Monday after the United game. As you will remember, JK, swathes and swathes and swathes of tweets from people who are not nappy shitters, not seeking or craving attention. You know, people of our generation who've been going yeah. to football for a very long time. Were sa- and, and Clayton, you, you took, well, Clayton and Dan were on the, on the Love Sports Show on Friday and they talked about this. Clayton, Clayton left after the Giroud goal was, was uh, disallowed. Because they, not because they hate uh, the team, not because they're pissed off because they're losing, not because they're being petulant. They are. They've had enough. It's ruining the game. What is the point of going, right? If you take, if if you remove the joy of going, we spend too much money over too long. We're too old to be putting up with this crap. And and I tell you, if they don't sort it out, they get, there'll be a lot of empty seats in stadiums, and it'll be too late. You know. And if they think they can replace them with tourists. They won't. If they think they can replace them with the younger generation, they won't because they ain't coming back. They got priced out years ago. This is, I tell you, we're, VAR is creating a real existential threat for match-going football. And if they don't get with the programme, they're going to kill it. And just to, just to cheer you up one more time, uh, Tim, Tim Rolls, bless him, who was at the uh, Supporters Trust Premier League meeting a couple of weeks ago. You know, every we have a couple of meetings with the what used to be an old money, Richard Scudamore, they've now got a new supremo called Richard Masters. When quizzed about VAR and its future and sorting it out, this is what Richard Masters said. He said, I don't think VAR has been damaging. I don't think VAR is harming the product. They either don't get it or they don't care. Well, they'll care when there won't be anybody going to the grounds. Anyway, we could do two hours of me and JK melting down on VAR and, and Liam... And Liam saying sensible stuff, 
But for my sanity and Jonathan's, and quite possibly Liam's as well, and also everybody listening, we're going to move on because I want to talk about the Spurs game because it was wonderful. Anyway, we'll be back after this break. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Right, uh, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast of me, uh, Stanford Chidge, him, Jonathan Kidd, and uh, the ever so wonderful uh, Liam Toomey. Um, now, very quickly, uh, I'm just going to have a quick plug a Rooney for. I did mention this actually to Jonathan. I will get him on on this. I, I, I swear to God, I will. But uh, as you may or may not know, I've kind of started up another podcast with a great guy called Martin King, who's a character and then some. He wrote uh, Hooli Fan and the uh, biography of uh, Peter Osgood, the King of Stamford Bridge. Uh, anyway, we've been going around interviewing a lot of the older players, uh, such as Kerry Dixon, Bobby Tambling, Chopper Harris, Tommy Baldwin, John Boyle, John Bumpson, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates, Canners. And even Danny Harkins, Eccles, uh, who was a, a, you know, uh, one of the leaders of the shed back in the day. Uh, and we made them into podcasts. And we have them at chelseaspecial.podbean.com. That's chelseaspecial.podbean.com. Uh, and you can download them all there. We do charge for these. They're two ninety nine each, but that's less than a cup of coffee, so it's not expensive. Uh, so go to Podbean, go to chelseaspecial.podbean.com, easy for me to say, then click on buy single episode now to listen to or download any of the episodes you want, or all of them, you know, you can do that. And we've got a website, chelseaspecial.com, and we're on Twitter, at Chelsea underscore special, and we're also on uh, Facebook as the Chelsea Special. There are more to come. We're planning a, a whole a whole raft of new ones. Hopefully we'll get some players who have played a little bit more recently uh, for the young youngsters who might remember them. But they're great fun. And I might, I might actually, because we're going to do fans as well who, who are quite notable. And I think Jonathan's notable. So I think we should talk to him about it. Oh, there you go. Simple as. Uh, Martin actually is going to be on the Love Sport show on the Friday on the international break weekend, so he'll he'll tell us all about it then, and he'll also regale us some tales from the sixties because I know I know you like that. Um, I was going to say there was another thing I was going to say about VAR, believe it or not, but I can't remember what it was now. So thankfully, it's gone out of my head. Hopefully, never to return. Um, but there you go. Right, time to talk about the Spurs game because that was much more interesting on Saturday. Um, I was a bit worried about this beforehand. I, I just didn't trust Mourinho to not come and screw us up, which is his want. Uh, and, of course, we were all very worried about the fact that, you know, we didn't have any strikers and we're all very worried about the fact that uh, we can't win at home. But it was a great result and a great performance. It was fantastic. I think the first thing I want to ask, really, Liam, is, you know, does this does this shore up our top four place a bit? Because it was a real six-pointer, wasn't it? And there were some ridiculous... I mean, I, I'm sure it was all Twitter rubbish. But there was some... But, I mean, the trouble is the media pick it up and they start hammering... I mean, I was being I was being asked about it on the media last week. You know, sacking Frank Lampard rumours. I mean, hopefully this shuts all that up. Because here's the thing, Liam. Uh, we've beaten Spurs twice. You and I know that the, uh, the bottom line condition for any Chelsea manager and players is they have to beat Tottenham. Uh, any, anything else will be tolerated, but losing to Tottenham is not tolerated. He's done it twice, but he's not just done it twice. He's done it over Mourinho. And, of course, this is the first double over a Mourinho-managed team. So he's the first man to do that. So he needs a real real round of applause for this, I think. 
Yeah, and, and in terms of results, I think it's every bit as significant for Chelsea's season as the one in December was. Um, because I think then, as now, Chelsea were on a really bad run. They, they didn't have any real momentum going in. And this has kind of changed the complexion of what what we know will be a defining stretch of the season. Um, it, and once more, it was a convincing win. You know, I think you, whenever you end the game with Mourinho spending his entire press conference going, woe is me, I just wish I could fast forward to the end of the season. I think you've, uh, you've won a lot more than the game. You've, you, you've won the psychological battle as well. And um, I think all of Lampard's selection decisions worked. He made some really big calls. Obviously, finally starting Giroud, something that a lot of people have been calling for for a long time. Um, bringing in Alonso as, as wing-back. Um, Barkley, who I thought had a, had a really good game, bringing Mount back in. All four of those players, of course, combined for the second goal, which was maybe the best bit of football, the most incisive bit of football that Chelsea have played for quite a long time. Um, and while the, 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 the freakish late-own goal left me more convinced than ever that this Chelsea will never, ever keep a clean sheet ever again. <laughs> um, True. I thought overall the performance was a, was a real, real endorsement of Lampard. Now, I mean, I didn't personally hear anything to even suggest, like the, the, the sacking Frank Lampard stuff. I mean, none of that's come from anywhere inside the club because it's, it's absurd um, given where they are in the league and, given the circumstances of this season. But having said that, I think the club I think the club were braced for the fact that if they lost at home to Tottenham and lost at home to Mourinho, maybe ended the weekend in seventh while Mourinho, while Spurs ended up in fourth, um, this would have been a very difficult week PR wise and, and they I think they they were braced for the, the hysteria on Chelsea Twitter. Not that Chelsea Twitter is anything ever anything other than hysterical one way. <laughs> um, but as it stands, you know, this the, the complexion is different and they now almost have a bit of a free hit at Bayern. Um, and then it's all about the league games that follow. Mm. I think it's done everybody the world of good. I mean, I, I, I mean... I got absolutely battered, actually, after. I did pop in and see Jonathan very quickly and Clayton very quickly. Then I had a trust meeting. But as I got the train up that day, I was able to have a beer at the football for the first time in a long time. I got absolutely trolleyed afterwards. And I think that was uh, reflective of the outpouring of relief at winning that game against them because it really is important to beat Spurs. I also, I should say, I met, I met Danny uh, in gate 17 in the bar who was very lovely he came over and said hello I couldn't remember who he was which is very bad of me and I did apologise Danny so sorry about that but I had a nice quick chat with him so it's lovely to meet a few people there and the chap I sit next to John he was on great form uh, but afterwards in the pub I met up with Brian Wolf from Chicago Blues and Ben Horner from Boston Blues Richard Weeks Darren Mantle old Dazza Mental was there loads and loads of old mates uh, uh, Reza his brother as well I had a really good session with Dan and uh, I was in such a state, apparently, when I got home. My missus said that I basically could hardly see, and I, and I just said, I'm going to bed. <laughs> and then I had to get up at five to do the bloody Love Sports show. I had the most humongous hangover, and then they made us talk about boxing for four hours. So I don't know. But anyway, it was a joyous, joyous day, Jonathan. Um, the first thing, really, is, um, I, you know, I wasn't on the show on Friday, but I did script this. I can't remember whether they talked about it or not, but I did make the point that, 
it was interesting that Leipzig, who beat them 1-0 last week uh, in the Champions League, had played the same formation as we did when we beat them before Christmas. And I wondered whether we might do that again. Uh, shame, shame I'm not on the record of saying that. But there we go. <laughs> but we did. We did exactly the same thing uh, as we did at uh, the new White Hart Lane. Uh, apart from obviously Giroud starting, but I wonder, you know, it was so, we, we look a much better side playing like that. We look better attacking wise, and we look better defensively when we play this three-four-two-one formation. But I do wonder, as I said in the intro, because I mean, I wonder if it is the way ahead. But there's a there's a part of me saying, well, maybe it just works against Tottenham because they're shit, and I can't make up my mind. Well, I was bemused that uh, Mourinho didn't set them up to deal with it in any way. Um, in fact, I was bemused with his tactics, which seemed to smack of what he used to do at United just before he was sacked, which was then he complained about the lack of players, which is what he, of, of a proper standard, which is what he did uh, for United as well. And I just, I worry for him. And I, I don't worry for him at all. I just, I worry that he, and that the worry is the wrong word. I, I, I keep saying what a fear. I worry. Um, I think he, um, uh, I just don't think he's good enough anymore. Um, and they rely so heavily, Spurs, on Son, who's a great player, and uh, Kane, who isn't as good as Son, I don't think. Um, and he, he didn't come up with anything to combat it. Um, my, my worry, I'll use the word in this instance, my worry is that we did this, after the Spurs game, and then we played the next game, three-five-three, uh, and um, and then he had to revert to uh, f- to four at the back. Do you remember that, Chich? Because yeah. we didn't play we didn't play very well. I can't remember the team we played immediately afterwards, but he tried to do that and it didn't work. And Alonso had another terrible game. Um, uh, Alonso is completely phenomenal when you play in that system. Yeah, and I I, I felt quite emotional about it because I thought he played. Um, defensively, a couple of times he gave the ball away, but he is such a brilliant attacking fullback. And suddenly you think, well, if he was playing every game, we'd have shot after shot. He has the most cultured left foot and even the right foot volley that he did, which almost scored. You just think he is a really terrific striker of the ball. The goal was a, a joyous, a joyous, joyous Chelsea goal. I just stood there with my arms aloft and uh, and Clayton hugged me around the waist. It was rather a lovely moment, actually. But uh, it was such a great move, as you said, Liam. And mate, it was um, like Carlos Alberta's goal in the seventy was, World Cup final. It was absolutely wasn't it? brilliantly struck. But he he's just somehow got to be a better defender, and um, he's great coming forward as he was under Conte. He's great in the box. You know, even his free kick that hit the bar. You just think. You know, and I just looked looked at him and thought, God, you're such a great player in these instances. It, but it is all to do with going forwards. And if they can actually somehow work it out that they defend better with this system. Somebody started talking about it quite um, uh, uh, tactically, quite cleverly, about how it, it prevents certain certain things from being done when you play with the uh, with the with the. Um, with the overlapping wingers, you don't need then to have wingers because the because the two fullbacks do it. Um, and I couldn't quite work out where James was playing because we had uh, um, uh, Aspi playing right back. So I presume he was just slotted in, wasn't he, behind the forwards? But but once again, I mean, James to me is uh, is the future so much. He's such a terrific player. Um, but it, it it worries me slightly. I mean, Giroud. The reason I didn't think Giroud had played for all of the most of the of the season, which he hasn't, is because of that dreadful performance when he did come on and play, and was just so off off the pace. 
and it didn't seem to fit with what Frank was doing. But if then he does play like this, he fits the three five three absolutely three five two whatever. Sorry, absolutely. Perfect. I think it. I think it was three four two one, mate. Three four two one. Sorry, it is one. Yeah, yeah. But because I think Mount Mountain yeah. Barkley. This is this is yeah. an important point if we're talking yeah, about Giroud, absolutely. which we are. Yeah. You know, because he, 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 you know, he turns slower than an oil tanker. This we yeah, know. Yeah. But if you've got Barkley, a mount buzzing Who's around him, him yeah. supporting him, yeah. he's so good at holding the ball up. Yeah. And I agree. So good at laying it off because yeah. he's such yeah. a skillful player, yeah. and he's got strength. But that, it makes goal, us far more goal, threatening. His, his goal was great, Chidge, wasn't Beautiful it? Beautiful goal. Great, great finish. Great, great strike finish. Strike. It was really. But you're absolutely right. And that's what was interesting about Barkley was that he played so well playing so far forward yeah. because he didn't then have the opportunity to dither, which he does in midfield and get and lose the ball because he was just there for spreading the ball quickly as was um, Mount. Mount had a terrific game. Bloody hell. Non-stop 90 minutes pressing as well. Ab- phenomenal. Uh, and the, as we said, the, 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 the goal, Alonso's goal with the flick on from Giroud, all four players, none of them have played. All of them were, um, that was a proper setup for a really proper goal, yeah. But I think you, the question mark is um, how bad were Spurs? Um, even though we played well, it gave, we gave us an opportunity to do that, and I hope it pushes us through. But but for, to, to it'll give us more space and give us more momentum. My fear is, though, I don't think with how many games there are, twelve to go, I'm not convinced that uh, it's over yet. I think there's going to be a lot of up and downery i think it's going to be oh yeah well we know that don't we with my my infamous uh and now updated jonathan if you refer to your notes liam will probably like to steal this for the athletic because i've done all the hard work for him uh but my now infamous uh run-in chart what i do uh which is on it's probably on page 722 for those of you listening at home in my copious notes on the games uh, I don't know why I do all this actually because I can never, actually it's also so small I can't actually read it. But the point is, is that Liam is that you know Jonathan's got a point actually. It, this is going to go to the wire because uh, everybody from well we're in fourth at the moment, Arsenal are ninth, but we've all got to play. You know that all of these teams are playing teams with whom they are competing for the top four place. So it's going to be tough. The ones with an easiest ride, arguably, are Man United and Arsenal. Uh, and possibly Wolves. Everybody else has got quite tough fixtures, but it's going to go down the wire. Liam, um, you know, uh, as always, we we defer to you. Not not like uh, the linesman to the referee necessarily, but we we <laughs> defer to you for some sense here because I am a bit perplexed. I mean, the system looked great. The personnel change worked. I I I, I understand the reservations about Alonso, and I also have some reservations about Giroud, even though I thought he was brilliant. But it does seem to me that that system particularly gets... It, there's more balance. It seems to get the best out of the players that we've got in that team. We look much better going forward and we look much better defensively. But I, as I said, there's this nagging feeling that I have is, yeah, but it was Spurs and they've been terrible for a lot of the season. Do you think that's that's true? Well, I think there is a combination of the two. I think the fact that Spurs showed so little attacking intent in the game um, certainly helped Chelsea feel more confident and and look more more solid at the back. I mean, we did see shortly before half time, Spurs put together their only sort of little little slick attacking move of the game, some nice combination passing, and as Pelaqueta had to put in a last ditch block to deflect Lucas shot over. Um, so I think there may be more slick teams that can 
that can cause Chelsea problems in that formation. And clearly, if you play that system every week, as they eventually found under Antonio Conte, other teams will seek to counteract it properly. And I don't mean what Mourinho did, which is essentially just arranging your players in the same formation. I mean actively coaching and drilling them to counteract what you do and and what you maybe don't do so well. Um, You're right. I think the top four race is going to go down to the wire regardless of what system Chelsea use, which is why I was so surprised at what Mourinho said afterwards, which was basically just, just punting on the rest of Spurs' season. I mean, they're only four points behind and Chelsea have hardly looked like um, putting a putting a hell of a lot of points on the board. I think that whoever gets fourth this year will be the lowest scoring fourth place team in Premier League history. So it's not a it's not a high quality race by any means. But well, I there's think, a counterpoint to that, which is yeah. that, and I take your point. I think you know you look at Spurs and they don't look a good team. You look at Arsenal, they don't look a good team. I mean, every team from us down to about tenth have got big big flaws and there's no yeah. no denying that but you know I have this argument every week with Paul Mortimer and he says to me mate this is a shit league honestly it's the worst I can remember it for years and years and years and I said well maybe it's more competitive so actually both could be true that they can be shit and that actually makes it competitive because they're all about as bad as each other so I do accept that it's a difficult one to nail down one thing I am intrigued with um Liam uh in particular is I mean, as I just said, I think when you've got Giroud up front, he needs people around him. And pushing Mount and uh, Barkley, kind of playing like two number 10s behind him, I thought worked really, really, really well. But I thought also Jorginho and Kovacic played really well as a two uh, in, in, you know, in front of the, the, the back three. And I have to be honest, mate, and, you know, and I, I, I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks, is that we were playing, uh, I think, our best football earlier on in the season when Kante was injured. And I and I and I, and I love Kante. I love Kante more more than anybody. I really, really do. But this season, he's been injury played, not up, not at his best as a result. I think. But I'm be, I'm beginning to wonder whether he fits in not just to this system, but to the the, the three in midfield because we look so better balanced in the system that we played uh, on Saturday against Spurs. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a conversation that a lot of Chelsea fans don't really want to have because there is so much affection for for Kante and so much respect for for how great a player he is. Um, But the the bare fact of the matter is that his his most transcendent skill, which is taking the ball off the opposition, um, becomes less important when you're playing a style which involves you having the ball a lot. Um, So in a high-possession team like the way Sarri was trying to play last year, like the way Lampard is trying to play this season, which it isn't actually, in principle, that different from how Sarri was trying to play last year. Um, the the need for a, for a player like Kante is slightly less, and what he does well does not add as much value as it would in another team. Um, mm. My colleague Simon Johnson wrote a couple of months ago kind of whisper it quietly, but should Chelsea consider selling Kante this summer? And I think it is... Yeah, he, talk, he talked to me, Liam, as part of the, part oh, of the piece. Yeah. I, told, I told him to fuck off, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but such I, a hypocrite. Shameless. But no, I mean, I think it, you know, I think it is a, I, I think it is a question Chelsea should ask this summer because he's 29. He's missed more games this season than he has in his entire career in England. Um, 
you know, he's been so famously durable, and now all of a sudden he can't keep himself fit. Do and he is the highest paid player at Chelsea. So actually, if they could sell him for a big fee and get his wages off the books, you could reinvest that money in a way that might strengthen the entire squad and and buy players in several different positions that are a better fit for where this team is going. Um, that said, I mean, you, you, you'd still, in terms of quality, you'd still gladly keep him and uh, and try to use him. But I think it is fair to say that he's not as fundamental to to Chelsea as he was certainly under Conte. I'll tell you what, Jonathan, uh, and I, I hate to say this, but, you know, number one, no no one player is bigger than the club. Number two, it takes real balls as a club to sell you know, many would have said, I mean, God, we've been saying it all season, haven't we? With the absence of Hazard, he's the one world-class player we have. But, you yeah, know, I, rem- yeah. I remember the likes of Man United in the eight- in the 90s. I remember um, Liverpool in the 70s and the 80s quite often would sell what many would, you know, deem as their best player and they would move onwards and upwards. So, you well, know, United it does happen. Did. Hmm? You know, United did it with Van Nistel- United did it with Van Nistelrooy, if you remember. Well, Keane, we were Beckham, at the time. yeah, and Keane, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jonathan, Liam, you still hear me? That's yeah. That would make yeah. sense to me, particularly. You disappeared momentarily. Can you Hello, just go, go back? No, no, you're you're back. But can you pick it up from where you left off, which is after whatever I said? Um, Van Nistelrooy was an example of somebody, and you then said um, Keane. I said, yeah, Roy Keane was an example as well. But, um, if Frank, if they're insisting on keeping Frank, which it looks to me as if they will because of his obvious connection with the youth and the, 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 the journey that he's making, and I think the confidence they want to have in him, then he seems to me to be absolutely the likely player to to leave. It, he, as, as Liam said, the the way Frank is playing is not too dissimilar to the way that Sarri played. Um, so he didn't fit with Sarri, and he's not he's not actually playing terribly well um, in this system. Whether it's the system itself or his ability, he's not playing at the high level that we're used to. Probably because of the injuries that he sustained last season, particularly playing in the. Uh, the Europa League final, where he miraculously, you know, put in more than a shift to help us win the the trophy. Um, but I, if if to sell him for a huge amount would then mean that it contributed more to the possibility of bought, buying, say, four more players of a an immense competence, then I would be all for it. And in fact, it's a question I want to ask Liam. Liam, have you any idea how much money we've got in the coffers um, to satisfy? Uh, the financial fair play set up because I'm always slightly amused about this as to how much money we could um, spend in the summer um, considering that we're buying the new boy we're buying whose name I can never pronounce is only 35 million um, surely they could then buy another couple of if if they've got all the money from selling um, Hazard and the other players that have gone out have we not got in excess of 200 million to spend have you any idea about that well, Liam? Well, the the first thing to say is don't put store in any stories that talk about a, a certain number as a war chest or this is the budget because it's not the way clubs themselves think about how they're going to spend money. Um, for, first of all, transfer fees are not the most important expense really with transfers. It's wages. Um, right. So that, that, that is definitely the, the most important thing. Um, 
the, the, the determining factor in how much Chelsea will have to spend this summer is whether they get Champions League football. Because we saw right. in the most recent financial results that Roman Abramovich had put in a quarter of a billion pounds last season to, to cover um, significant spending in a season in which Chelsea were not in the Champions League. So yeah. if, if they are not in the Champions League, they will rely, you know, I don't think Abramovich can put in that much again, not because he doesn't have the money, of course he does, but then you do get into FFP trouble because you're only allowed to lose about £30 million over, over a rolling three-year period. They posted profits the two years before last season, but last season will be factored in and it was a pretty sizable loss. So um, if they if they get Champions League, they've already banked some money which wasn't included in those financial results, which was the Hazard sale, you know, the Morata sale, a couple of other things. So they, they're, they're in credit, essentially, heading into the summer. Um, and so they, they will have significant money to spend. But I think anyone who tries to put a precise number on it is being a little bit disingenuous or, or making a bit of a leap. I think what they'll what they'll continue to try and do is identify, you know, good value targets. They believe Hakim Ziyech is a very good value target for the price they got him for. Um, and I think you know they they will be looking if if possible if an elite target like Jadon Sancho decides that he wants to go to Chelsea over every other club in Europe that's interested in him then I'm sure they'll want to be in a position to to be in that conversation as well. Yeah, it's a good point. I'll tell you what you might want to add to that, uh, Liam, and that's what what we may or may not do with Kepa. Because uh, the other kind of... Well, I mean, you know, Clayton was talking about this on Friday on the Love Sports Show, but he felt that if Kepa didn't start uh, against Spurs, then that's pretty much it. Um, obviously, time will, will tell with that, but... You know he's he's he slipped down the pecking order to a guy who's 38 and has his own Petter Barotta like spells in goal. So I don't think it looks good for Kepper at the moment. And I and I, I I you may have a better handle on this than me, but I have a suspicion that it might be um, not just down to his uh, poor form. I think it could be down to his attitude. Uh, maybe a bit sulky and temperamental. Um, we we know he had a bit of a meltdown in the Caribou Cup final almost a year ago. So maybe there's something to do with that. And there was a there was I think Frank alluded to it to it without mentioning any names by saying, you know, if you, if you don't make the first team, you don't go and sulk about it. Sort yourself out and get back in. Maybe he was referring to to Kepa there. But do you think we might be in 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 search of a new keeper come the summer? Well, it's it's a bigger issue with every single game that Kepa doesn't play. Exactly. Uh, and when when he was initially dropped for the Leicester game, it was. You know, it was tempting to interpret Lampard's decision as, you know, you make a statement, you put Caballero in, you tell Kepa, look, that, that your performance level is not acceptable. You, ba- you basically underline that with the gesture of dropping him. But then you give him the February break to clear his head um, and, and come back with the point having been made. You put him back into the team for a decisive stretch of games and give him a chance to... To, to respond, but instead he stuck with Cavalero, um, and it's a it's a real issue for Chelsea as a club, not just for this. This is a, a huge a huge subject for Lampard as a manager because this is the club record signing. You know, this is a, this is the guy who 
um, is the most expensive goalkeeper in ever. Um, and and whether you know whether I think it's pretty clear at this point that it was a mistake by the club to pay as much for him as they did. It, it looked like a panic signing at the time, and it looks more like a panic signing now. But well, I think I think sorry, sorry to butt in, Liam, but I, I I do think that that's slight you know a slight distortion because you're right. It was a panic buy because the snake threw his toys out of the pram and threatened to go on strike at the beginning of the season. So well, we I had to have, we had we had to have a decent keeper and remember. You know his net his net value is is about thirty five million quid, isn't it? Yeah, but I I think that that all came about because Chelsea fundamentally mismanaged the Courtois situation. Totally right. I think they they left it too late. I think they were on the verge of telling Courtois, um, "We'll hold you to the final year of your contract. We'd rather we'd rather you just play it out and leave as a free agent than have to search for a keeper now." And I think they underestimated how far Courtois would go to make that move happen then. And when he did, they had to panic because Alisson had already turned them down to go to Liverpool. And they decided that Kepper, a guy who, who was available for 20 million euros the window before, before he signed a new contract, um, had, to, had to be the next guy up. And Athletic Bilbao do not negotiate. So if you want a player, you have to pay his release clause. I, you know, I think it, it, it makes it a big issue for Chelsea because really the, the only outcome that is palatable is for Kepa to play his way into form because he's not going to justify, even if you were looking to sell him, what, what sort of value would you get for him? If you look around Europe, most, most of Europe's top clubs have a settled long-term goalkeeper. There is not a huge market for a exorbitantly expensive goalkeeper let alone one that is not playing up to his price tag so I think it's a big problem for Chelsea but the longer he goes out of the team if you are if you are deciding to to build around Lampard long term uh, or that Lampard is going to oversee this long term the longer Kepa doesn't play the less likely he is to be part of it Mm. Interesting stuff. All right. Um, I just want to finish this uh, little part up by saying it's bloody marvellous beating Spurs twice in the season. Well done, Frank. He 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 knows. He knows how important that is. I'm just so delighted. And it's clear he got the players up for it as well, made them realise how important it is. Uh, it makes me a very happy camper. Sadly, uh, on Monday night last week, for reasons other than the match, I was a very unhappy camper. And... Uh, Largely, that was down to losing to United, who I also hate to lose to. But, uh, you know, VAR and Anthony Taylor had a lot to do with that as well. Uh, We will be talking about that after this very short break. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK, in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? 
Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast with me, Stanford Chidge. Him over there, Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Whoop. And the ever so lovely Liam Toomey, uh, star writer, way ahead of uh, Simon Johnson and Don Fifield and Jonathan Wilson et al. on The Athletic. Oh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but you're, you're definitely making a play to be a... Uh... Take over from JK as my agent, aren't you? Well, I only asked 10%, which is less than JK, to be fair. So, you know. Anyway, great to have you on board, Liam. We don't have you on here enough, but as I was explaining earlier on, I'd kind of share the load a bit. But it's lovely when we do, because you, you, you speak so much sense. And, of course, you know, you're at the presses and things, so you're quite well connected to what's going on in reality. Uh, now, just a very quick plug for the Patreon thing we do. You heard me... Uh, talking about some emails earlier on that came from uh, the lovely good denizens of Patreon who support us wonderfully every month by uh, paying a little bit of money, a few dollars a month, uh, just to really support our efforts during the week, which is really lovely of you. Um, and if you want to do that too, I mean, you don't have to spend much, just a couple of dollars a month, really, you know, something like that. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, I put a message out on Patreon uh, really talking about um, ideas um to really you know i'm always very mindful of the fact that the people who do this properly you know unlike me who's just a, an opportunist really uh, but the people who do this properly actually provide what we, what was generally coined as a uh, premium content right uh and i and i'm very mindful of the fact that that we never really do uh enough of that and i'm always trying to think of ways where we can do that you know give you a little bit more than just a couple of shows a week that we do um and i i did i did i got a couple of messages here jonathan which i'm going to share with you actually uh the wonderful freddie carberg who, who whose badge i gave you uh, on saturday yeah thank you i yeah. put it on my jacket thank you brilliant thanks so much lovely anyway he said i think a post-match video could be interesting and a nice contrast to have the fan to the fan cast when emotions might have cooled down I'm still figuring out how to... I don't know if I can take a blood... Uh, there must be an app on Patreon. They have lots of apps. So I shall find out if I can record video for Patreon and then we'll religiously do a little piece with you and me after the match because they they want that. Uh, Philip Monday says, Once a season meet-up for, after a home game would be great. As a sado who goes to games on their own these days, it would be great to meet up with Patreons and contributors and perhaps it could even be teamed with a live mini fan cast. Not much use for overseas patrons, or patrons, I guess. Although, you know, sometimes they're over. So maybe if we make the date work, 
we'll get a few from overseas. Uh, but perhaps they could also be actively involved with the fan cast of their own using a Skype or just them contributing the framework, topics, questions or a show more specifically tailored for them. That's a great idea, Phil. Uh, and I mean, I've often wondered about maybe we could do a few kind of you know, if we can, I mean, Jay and I, JK and I are very busy, but I mean, I, I would, would certainly consider at some stage doing like a separate mini show of a Q&A or something. Maybe do a show where you can phone in because we have the capacity. We could do a Q&A or, or make it a Q&A show and you can phone in on Skype and we can sit there and, you know, do it like a radio show, JK, couldn't we? Love it. Love it, yeah. Love it. J- JK and I will talk to our agent, who is actually officially Liam. He didn't reveal that to you a minute ago. He's actually mine and Jonathan's agent, and we'll negotiate a fee and see if we can fit it into our busy schedule. But maybe that's something we could do just for Patreons going forward. Because what I can do is I can record it and edit it and just release it to Patreon. How about that, JK? Yeah. Yeah. I'm up for it, Chief. I'm up so, for yeah. it. Yeah. I, I reckon maybe just do half an hour, forty minutes or something. Less. You know. Maybe just randomly. Yeah, yeah. I need I need to come and have a long chat with you, J.K. I'm not angling for an invite to the uh, culinary delights of uh, Aussies, but we should have a we should have a a, a board meeting. <laughs> Figure out what we can do. But I'm really up for this. I'm really up for it. I just want to give these people a bit more value for money because I I love the fact that they bung us money every month. Anyway, I'm prattling on as I often do. Uh, it's time to talk about um, the Chelsea Man United game. I mean, here's the thing, right? Uh, it's so tempting, isn't it, Liam, to just blame uh, VAR and, uh, so bad I named it twice, VAR and Anthony Taylor for being utterly shit and costing us a win. And you can make that case, I think. The Zuma goal should have stood. Uh, Maguire should have been sent off. Maguire scores. That changes games. But the reality is, mate, we also exhibited the same old problems. Absolutely hopeless, toothless up front. And, and vulnerable at the back again. I mean, you know, Maguire totally, totally dominated uh, Rudiger for that goal. So, you know, and uh, poor old Christensen, again, actually, I think was a bit unlucky because he got walloped on the nose, broke his nose, didn't he? And that made him a little bit susceptible. But I think Rudiger was partially at fault for uh, Marshall's goal as well. So uh, which side of the coin should we rest on this? Can we just stick it all to Taylor or do we have to say same old, same old for Chelsea? Well, I don't think you can ignore... The, the longer term problems that have blighted Chelsea for months for months now they they struggle to score they struggle to create against teams that sit deep and yet they always find a way to concede which is a really really bad combination it is um, isn't it <laughs> not not really but, very good is it page one football coaching is it yeah but but having said that you know I think the Maguire incident is absolutely pivotal because if you if you watch what happens in, in the game from then on not only for the goal that he scores, he essentially gets in the way of every subsequent ball that Chelsea put into the box. So it is quite an impactful decision to keep Maguire on the pitch yeah. because he was the best player on the pitch from the moment that happened. Um, and and also the other thing that struck me watching the game back, because I, w- I didn't actually watch it live. I was at Chelsea's... Uh, I was at Boreham Wood hoping to see Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who did not play. <laughs> So I spent Monday night in Ruben Loftus uh, in in Boreham Wood watching Chelsea development squad, um, which was which was fun. I saw Chelsea win, unlike most people. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I, I I think the the other thing that struck me watching the game back afterwards 
It was just that Maguire, who is okay, he's a, he's a big guy. I think he's like six three, six four. Looked like an absolute giant in both boxes next to Chelsea players, and I think, I think this is something that Chelsea have to address this summer. And it and it was addressed to some degree by the team that Lampard then picked to face Tottenham with Giroud and Alonso coming in, but they have they have become such a a small and fairly weak team um, with such an emphasis on technical ability that it you know it, there is a very late era, late Wenger era Arsenal feel to it and um and I think they Hakim Ziyech is not is not necessarily going to change that because one of the big doubts about him from other clubs who were interested in bringing him to England was the fact that he's got a very lean physique um, and they were worried about how he'd adapt to Premier League football I just think that you do need three or four very physical players in key positions to be a really great Premier League team, even if you don't you don't necessarily need to subscribe to the Mourinho theory that anyone below six foot is absolutely useless to you. Um, but you do need a balance, and I think Chelsea have gone too far the other way in in, in recent in in recent years, and and that that's been exposed on a number of occasions. It's it's routinely exposed at set pieces, and I think it was an issue again against United. Really good point. Yeah, I'm actually, hang on a minute, Jake. Cause I'm just going to ask you this actually, because uh, but feel feel free to say whatever you were going to say and then answer the question. But it's a really interesting point, Liam makes. I forgot about that. But my immediate reaction after watching the game, because I watched it on the telly, of course. Um, and I'm I'm about. To, I think I think my next CFC UK article is going to be on this very point. What really annoyed me most about the United match was that I thought we were bullied and we needed some shithousery, and we don't have enough shithouse players who will put their foot in and get nasty and bully back and stand up to, t- to teams like United, who will physically bully you. And it really upsets me because I remember we used to have some great shithouse players, didn't we? You know, Didier Drogba was a prime Ballard. example. Michael Ballock, Michael Essien, you know, they shot JT, of course. They'd all put their foot in and give it back. And sometimes you've got to stand up. And I think Liam makes an excellent point there, JK. But anyway, you were about to say... Well, I just wanted to ask you, talking about um, uh, um, diminished lean players, and I was slightly dismayed to see Loftus-Cheek is about half the size he was uh, going down the touchline as one of the substitutes in the game. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that. Have you seen that? He's um, He seems to have lost all his girth. He seems to have lost all that big aspect. He's become a very lean player as a consequence of not... Um, uh, he's obviously been, you know, been working in the gym an enormous amount, but he doesn't seem to have retained any of that bulk, um, which I'm just intrigued to see how that what, how that's going to make him perform. Because one of his his um, uh, his features as a player when he's come on is has been his ability for, for people bouncing off him in the same way they bounced off Hullet. Um so you'd almost just as long as his centre of gravity was there, he, he could go forward with the ball and they would come in and he'd just be able to shrug him off. And I didn't see that same um, physique at all uh, when he was sub, when he was the sub. And I'm also slightly bemused as to how he's playing um, in the squad when he hasn't had 90 minutes yet. Um, but nevertheless, uh, you know, it's down to Frank to make a decision about that. But yeah, uh, it was interesting when I mean, you're talking about... Um, uh, Players of change when you're saying he, Giroud gave him a more a larger presence. If you remember, Sarri picked Alonso um, specifically because he, he felt he was a better header of the ball in defence yeah. than other people, even yeah. though he wasn't performing well, even though he had a very poor season. 
So, uh, yeah, you wonder whether this is something they will have to um, try and redress. I mean, we've been talking about this lack of of physical contact in the what physical contact, sorry, lack of, of physical um, just challenging players in a slightly uh, even a slightly aggressive way. We've been talking how it's not there because of the very desire to play the ball so quickly. Um, uh, and it, cause it doesn't go really hand in hand, does it with, with having a player who's very solid and likely to foul for you. They're really unlikely to, uh, to be in a position to, um, to, to sprint up and down the field and press all the time. I mean, it'd be interesting to use Liverpool as the template as to see um, what they managed to achieve with this. It's like a combination of athleticism and uh, and aggression, which I think they, they do rather well, actually. Mm. It's interesting stuff, isn't it? I, I just wonder about Loftus-Cheek. Maybe Liam's got a view on this. But, I mean, obviously I am not a doctor or a physiologist or whatever they're called. But uh, given that he had a, a really nasty, really nasty um, Achilles injury, and obviously, you know, it, it, I'm not saying it happened uh, as a result of his size and physicality, but, you know, your feet and your ankles are, 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 are your load bearers. So I wonder if part of his, his re- rehabilitative regime oh, yeah. also yeah. encouraged him to lose some bulk so that he wouldn't be bearing so much weight. What do you reckon, Liam? Is there a theory there? It's an interesting point. Um, I, I don't know is the answer. Simon, Simon did a, a, um, a piece for us on, on Loftus-Cheek's recovery, which included some, some rather grim details about how his... Um, you know how bad the the Achilles tear was, and also the fact that his his calf muscle basically halved in size during the the rehab process because of just sort of natural muscle wastage when he was when he was resting up. So I think you know there might be an element of that where just by virtue of playing regular football again and training regularly again as he's doing now, he he will maybe naturally put a little bit more weight and a bit more muscle back on. Um, because the the work that you can do during the rehabilitation process is just by its very nature different. Um, and we said that. I mean, just to go off what J.K. said, I, I I was absolutely stunned, despite what Lampard had said the day before, to see him on the bench against Tottenham, and even more stunned to see him as one of the one of the subs along with Billy Gilmore that was that was in line to be Chelsea's final sub until that own goal went in. Um, because I just think that after almost nine months, for his first minutes to be um, an intense London derby against Chelsea's most bitter rivals, um, I think would have been a massive, yeah. massive risk. And I know, I know that there aren't many easy games for Chelsea to to throw him into at this stage of the season. But they pulled him out of the development squad game a week ago as a precaution because he felt some discomfort. No suggestion that it was in the Achilles, but just some sort of general discomfort, and they didn't want to take any risks with him. Um, but then it, it kind of that, you know, that general caution jars with him being in the squad against Tottenham. So it's really nice to see him back, and and nice to see him in the vicinity of a Premier League football pitch again. But I think everyone, Lampard included, is going to have to be really, really patient with Loftus Cheek. Indeed they are, and I think gently, gently does it in, in that respect. Actually, it's a good segue, really, Liam, because I wanted to talk about um, injuries at the club at the moment. I mean, I remember if we, we used to do... Well, maybe we were just lucky. Maybe the medical department were excellent. Who knows? I mean, if you think about it, 
you know, Arsenal always used to suffer loads of in- injuries under the, the Wenger regime. And I think they kind of pinned it down to the training pitches, uh, ultimately, didn't they? Or something daft like that. But we do have what appears to be a bit of a, an injury crisis. Tammy, he's back now, but he was injured. And of course, that was a knock. That happens. Christensen, you know, got one in the face. That happens. But hudson odoi has got a muscle injury. Pulisic has been out for a very long time. Kante's had trouble all seasons. Is it just bad luck, Liam, or is there something more uh, more to this? It's very difficult to say because we don't know the intricacies of what um, of what Lampard is doing in training. He did suggest going into the February break that he was going to work. He was going to give the players a few days off to go um, anywhere they wanted in the world and just have a little bit of a holiday and switch off for three or four days. But then once they were back that they were going to have a sort of mini pre-season. He was going to go quite hard on them. Um, and then Chelsea came out of the February break with what seemed to be more injuries than they went into it with. But this stuff is all circumstantial and you can't draw, you have to be very, very careful, particularly me as a journalist. You know, you, you have to be very, very careful about alleging any sort of um, mismanagement when it comes to players' health because clubs, quite rightly, are very, very... Um, sensitive when it comes to those sorts of topics so unless you have cast iron proof that they are doing something wrong that is contributing to injuries you cannot write it um and i've certainly not heard anything to suggest that you know beyond beyond training being pretty intense and lampard's not the first person to do that you know training was really intense under conte as well yeah um that it's uh you know, you haven't heard anything particularly untoward in terms of Chelsea's training methods. What I would say, on a more general note, is that I think the the February break, while well intentioned, um, does not address the the fundamental problem with English football. It it comes too late. If you yeah, look at totally. the amount of injuries that different clubs have got, and the amount of injuries that that mounted over December and January. That is when the damage has been done to these players. That is when all the miles have been put into their legs and, and the majority of these muscle injuries have happened. And so if there is going to be a, a break that makes a difference in English football, it has to really come in December or at the very latest January. February is just shutting yeah. the door, barn door after the horse has bolted. Totally agree, Liam. I've been saying for ages they should scrap the Christmas fixtures and have it then. Then I can actually spend it with my family. But that, that's yeah. just me being selfish. Um Look, we kind of touched on this earlier on, JK, about, uh, you know, uh, finishing top four. Um, you, like me, think it's going to go down to the wire, don't you? Yeah, completely, yeah. Just the way, well, I was intrigued to see that Sheffield United, who was supposed to be on this roll, drew with Brighton. Yeah. think, well, hang on, if they're supposed to be this great club and he's, his system is so brilliant, nobody's been able to, to find him out, why did they draw 1-1? You, know, you think, well, if they're going to have intermittent results and everybody, I, I don't think anybody's going to go on a run. It's just a question of us trying to um, win more than them, essentially. I, I think we'll lose still, but we just need to win more and uh, and take advantage. I mean, I think there's even more incentive now that the possibility of City not being in the Champions League. So you've got uh, people even out of it. Wolves might have a chance if they just uh, get their act together. This is true. And, I mean, they are in the mix. I, mean, I don't know if Liam's had a chance to... I'm, I'm going to copyright this. It's the, the, the Chidge Run-In document, which gets updated every week, Liam. Uh, but uh, you, you were right, you know, saying how tight it was. I mean, we're on fourth of 44 points. United fifth 
uh, sorry, we've got 44 points in fourth. United, 41 points in fifth. Spurs and Sheffield United, sixth and seventh at 40 points. Wolves, 39 points. Arsenal now crept into it. Uh, they're now ninth on 37 points. Um, and as I said, we've got a play. Well, Everton, who are ever dropped out of this, so I should have un- unyellowed them because you have to be in, in the table to be yellow. Uh, but we've got City at home. Won't be easy. We've got Sheffield United away. Won't be easy. Liverpool away won't be easy as our last two matches, Liverpool away and, she- and, and Wolves at home. I think the Sheffield United and the Wolves match are going to be absolutely key, Liam. I think that's what could decide whether we end up in fourth. But of course you say that. If we lose to West Ham away or Palace away, you know it doesn't matter, does it? You know, you've got to win your bloody matches, simple as. That's the thing. I think what's, what we've learned so far this season with this Chelsea team is that you can't second-guess the schedule because they can beat any team and they can lose to any team. Um, it, it purely depends on, on how they perform on the day and particularly when you are de- depending in key areas on players that are so young, that are still finding their way collectively and individually in the Premier League. Some days they're going to have it and some days they won't and it's not easy to predict what those days will be. So... I think there are going to be lots of twists and turns. The, the the most comforting thing for Chelsea is that none of the teams behind them look very capable of stringing a really long run together. I know Arsenal have looked quite impressive under Arteta, um, but there, there isn't a, a lot to suggest that any of those teams will go on an absolute tear between now and the end of the season. And then, well, the lovely. The, sorry, go on, Liam. Go on, mate. Sorry. Final thing you have the. You have, you have the added unknown, unknown factor of if Manchester City's Champions League ban sticks, fifth will get Champions League as well. Mm. Uh, obviously, yeah. you can't depend on that, though, if you're Chelsea. Well, this is true. I mean, just to cheer everybody up a bit, you know, I'm all heart, really. Uh, United have got, I would say, four tough fixtures in a well, three in a row. Their next three, Everton away, uh, they've got City at home and they've got Spurs away. And their last match is Leicester away. But before that, or in between that rather, talking about putting a run together, they've got Brighton at home, Bournemouth, uh, sorry, Brighton away, Bournemouth at home, Villa away, Southampton at home, Palace away, and West Ham at home. So they could stick a run together there. Spurs have got tough fixtures with Wolves at home next uh, week. They've got United at a home. They've got Sheffield United away, Everton at home, and Leicester at home. Uh, and in between all of that, they've got Burnley away, West Ham at home, Bournemouth away, Arsenal at home. Actually, that's a tough one, Arsenal at home. I should I should make that yellow. I've been remiss in my yellowness, Jonathan. And uh, they've, got, they've got Newcastle away and Palace away. Uh, Sheffield United have got Man United away, Spurs at home, Wolves at home, us at home, Leicester away, Everton at home. They've got a tough run in. Wolves, I think, have got a little bit easier. They've got uh, Spurs away... Uh, Sheffield United away, Everton at home, and us last match of the season away. But they've got Brighton, West Ham, Bournemouth, Villa, Arsenal, uh, Burnley and Palace. So, you know, they've got a few tough matches. And Arsenal, as I said, they've got uh, Wolves away, Leicester at home, uh, Spurs away, Liverpool at home. Everybody's got tough matches. People are going to be dropping points. And as we said a minute ago... I've yellowed out the ones which I think are tough, but frankly, we're all so flawed that we could all of those teams could lose to, uh, to certainly teams that are battling relegation. As, as we all know, you know, when it comes to the business end of the season, 
teams struggling for their life to stay in the Premier League will, will come out with some remarkable performances. So it's going to go down to the wire. Now, I just want to move this on very quickly because we've got a couple of minutes before we can go to a break. We've got Bayern Munich tomorrow. Uh, brings back all sorts of memories, obviously uh, 2012. But of course, you know, I remember... I remember that Darren Mantle never forgave Michael Ballack for diving to get a penalty uh, when we played them in the Champions League at home. So we played them at Stamford Bridge before. It's a big old fixture. Um, my suspicions are... Hang on. <coughs> Excuse me. My suspicions are that Bayern are not quite as good as they think they are. They've got a, a, a manager called Herr Flick. This is true. Uh, go and go and Google it. I don't think it was the one from Alo Alo though, sadly. Um, who was kind of just really on, they're on sufferance from what I can figure out. But they got some good players. Oh, I, oh <coughs> bloody hell! There'll be another one in a minute, won't there? They've got some good players. Obviously Lewandowski, Coutinho, uh, Muller still there, Neuer. Um, they are not. <laughs> I, I joke. They're not to be sneezed at. Although I just have. Um, it's going to be tough, Liam, isn't it? And they battered seven, uh, Tottenham 7-2 at home, everywhere they go. We know that. Uh, where do you see this going? Uh, well, I, I, I think ever since the draw was made, I've been having visions of what Robert Lewandowski could do to that Chelsea defence. <laughs> One of the most ruthless strikers in, in world football. Bayern, I, I have to go on, on the insight of um, my athletic colleague, Rafa Honigstein, uh, I've been talking to him around this time. He says they've looked a lot better under Hansi Flick since he took over. They've looked a lot more coherent. They've gained in confidence. And I'm actually... sorry, Liam, it's obligatory on the Chelsea fan cast to call him Hair Flick. <laughs> Mr Flick. Um, <laughs> um, he, he says that they're heading into this tie in quite a strong place, which sounds quite ominous for Chelsea. But of course... Chelsea have been big underdogs against Bayern Munich before, and um, it will be interesting to see how the spectre of 2012 hangs over this tie, and how I less less how it affects Chelsea because obviously this is such a different group of players, such a different profile of team from that one, much younger. Um, but on the Bayern side, does it have any sort of psychological impact? Does it make them more determined to make Chelsea suffer, or does it? Um, does it give them? Does it make them attribute Chelsea with a level of threat that maybe Chelsea, this Chelsea team doesn't necessarily deserve or hasn't earned? But it's 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 knockout football. It, anything can happen, and it, and I think all I'm really hoping for, because I'm down to cover the return leg in Munich, is that the tie is still alive. I don't think most Chelsea fans will go into this with grand expectations. I think if they give it a good go against Bayern even if they went out on their shields in, in the Allianz. Um, I think most fans would take that and, and then just focus on the rest of the season in the league. Indeed. Uh, Jonathan, where do you sit with this? Uh, very similarly to Liam, actually. Uh, um, I thought we'd be stronger when we played at this stage in the Champions League. I thought we'd have possibly made a couple of different purchases to uh, to bulk us out a bit, but it's not to be... Um, and uh, the naive um, inability to put the ball in the net that we appear to have uh, doesn't seem to um, fit well with their uh, s- cynical ability. Sorry, clinical ability, Chidge, to um, to put the ball in, to put the ball in the net. So uh, 
I'm uh, I'm sorry. I don't have a great deal of uh, faith. I think even if we say lose by this the odd goal or even win one nil at the bridge, um, I still think they'll do a number on us in the in the stadium in Germany. Uh, I just don't. I think, as you say, Lewandowski is um, is exactly the man to exploit our deficiencies from set pieces and generally from crosses, um, and they'll have been noticing that. So uh, I know I'm I'm as always hoping that things will happen. I mean, I suppose the problem is having watched the team so much in the 60s when they'd always play you know, a team that was better than them, Man United, for example, regularly. And we you go in with the possibility of being able to to get a result and then lose 5-2, you know, it, it, and, and being plucky with your two goals. But uh, um, it, it, you slightly become resigned to that if the team is so much better. I mean, I, I hope that he's tactically, that he tactically has come up with something and we surprise them. And there's always a hope that they'll, they'll play out of their skins and... Uh, and something will happen to them on the night. But then there's always the return game. But yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm not confident. And I, but I'm, I'm always coming to this with a positive response. And as you say, if we can actually, um, well, one of the lows for me was playing so well against Barcelona, and then Christensen giving the ball away and losing is under Conte, and then going to um, uh, to Barcelona and uh, and playing so badly. I really would like us, if we are to go out at this stage, to play well in both legs, even if we lose. That would really give us a positive, I think. It's going to be really tough, isn't it? There's no doubt about that. Yeah. I think the trouble with the trouble with two-legged football is that, you know, it, it, that's, this is why it's really good, actually, because invariably the better team will win over two legs. And I think we would be naive to suggest that we are the better team. I think Bayern are the better team. But I just hope that, number one, we don't get battered at home. I mean, you know, I would. Be, I mean, obviously, I, I don't expect us to, to do worse than Spurs did, but clearly Bayern are a very capable team, and we do have our frailties at the back, so that is a bit worrying. But like Liam said, I think if we can still be in the tie going to the second leg, I think, you know, you never know. You know, weird shit happens. And I do wonder... You know, I mean, I don't think Bayern will necessarily be out for a revenge because, of course, they turned us over in the uh, the Super Cup, didn't they? A couple of years after uh, we beat them in the Champions League final, um, I think that they might underestimate us. Actually, I, I really do, and I think that 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 will be a problem for them if they do that because I think we've already proved this season that we are capable of doing really, really well in Europe. I thought that that performance um, against Ajax away was absolutely superb. Okay, we got a bit lucky, but you know, you need a bit of luck in cup competitions. So, you know, I I, I I there's a there's a part of me that thinks we might pull off a bit of a surprise here, but equally if we get walloped, I also won't be surprised, but I really really hope that we don't. Liam, um where where do the club uh, view this in terms of their expectations? Well, I think Chelsea always looked at the Champions League this season as a bit of an adventure. Um, you know, the key thing for the club while they're rebuilding the squad, while they're sort of letting, giving Lampard the time to try and construct a new team, um, is that they're in the Champions League. It, it matters less in the short term how far they get. But I think they wanted to get out of the group, particularly once the draw was made and it became clear that Chelsea didn't have, you know, a proper juggernaut. I mean, you know, you know that Ajax were 
last year's semi-finalists, but you also knew they were a diminished team. Um, so I think once that draw was made, the expectation was to make it out of the group. Chelsea met that expectation. And now, you know, when you play a true member of the elite in a pretty strong position in Bayern, maybe not as strong as they were under Guardiola, but still in a strong position in terms of their squad, I think they just want um, they want to give give the fans something to to be positive about. Not necessarily a win, but as J.K. says, a, a kind of heroic failure. Um, e- even that would be would be okay, and it would be progress, I think, for for especially a lot of the academy graduates in this team to get that experience into them, and and it would stand them in good stead if Chelsea are able to get fourth this year for for future Champions League campaigns. Well, I tell you what, um, I, I hope they give it a right go. That's all I say. Um, it'd be interesting to see who who he selects and also um, what system he plays. I don't really know what, what Bayern plays, so it'd be interesting to see how we set up. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, you know, these are really special nights and I shall be there. I shall whiz over there, finish work in Winchester at five, hair up the M3 and uh, hopefully get there in time for kickoff. I shall come and say hello for a cup of tea before I head back, Jonathan, if that's all right. Perfect, Jude. Perfect, yes. We might even do a little video. I'd love it. I'd love it. I might have even found out how to do that on Patreon thingy, Bob. What's it? And I can give you uh, all my attention. Oh, well, I love that, of course. Yeah. I know. It's lovely. Uh, all right. Well, look, good luck, Chelsea, tomorrow night. I can't wait. It's going to be a cracker. Whatever happens always is on a European night. Right. Um, we're going to have a quick break. And then when we come back, we've got some cracking emails. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Okay, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast with me, Stanford Chidge, uh, Mr. Jonathan Kidd, and the uh, very erudite Mr. Liam Toomey. Hello. So there you go. Right, now, a uh, quick reminder, <clears throat> if you weren't there on Saturday, uh, if you are... At the game tomorrow, you can pick up uh, the latest copy of the CFC UK fanzine where me and many other people that you'll know and love, Clayton writes for the CFC UK, Mark Worrell does, Tim Rolls does, Walter Rotten, Kelvin Barker, loads of people that you know and uh, also have been on this show many, many times. So it's a great, great read. Only a pound uh, and you get it from the store, which is opposite uh, the exit to Fulham or the entrance to Fulham Broadway tube. Uh, loads of us are usually hanging around there, so do stay a while, say hello and have a chat. Marco's always there. Dave, of course, who's the editor, uh, he's also there too. So uh, do get the old CFC UK fanzine. It's only a pound. Uh, right, we've got loads and loads and loads of... E- well, we haven't got loads, and we've got five, actually, because thankfully I shoved a lot of them into the bit on VAR, because funnily enough, everybody wanted to write about VAR, Jonathan, but we've got a good old traditional... Uh, email from a regular contributor who is Alex Davidson, who's written a rather long but very well thought out email. Would you like me to read that one, Chidge? I would. It's the email of the week, oh, and therefore sweet. the honour the honour always falls upon you Thank for you. the email of the week. I'd like to say I like the way that Alex has uh, titled me, uh, and um, uh, I'm higher than you actually, Chidge. Um, Sir Chidge Worthy, which is good, and Lord Kidderminster 
Oh, Alex, thank you. And honoured and esteemed guest, it's you, Liam, it's you. I pray thee, oh, 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 make thyself comfy as I deliver to you a prophecy. Chelsea are in a unique position to make history and lay the foundation for domestic dominance and European hegemony for the next generation. Indulge me, sirs and any ladies. It will be worth it. Keep the bridge as is. King Roman, I beseech you, do not alter so much as a single brick of our sacred house of worship, Stamford Bridge. <laughs> Ignore all arguments to expand or worse to abandon it for a newer, shinier palace. Why? It has the right capacity. I'll shut this up now. It has the right capacity. I was enjoying okay, that. Okay, I'll keep going there. It You're has- doing your Richard Third, aren't you? I was, I was. <laughs> if you want, I would be slightly more John Gielgud. Do you know, do you know that Richard Third is also rhyming slang? Uh, yes, indeed, Chit. I will therefore do John Gilgood doing uh, <laughs> Hamlet. It has the right capacity for an authentic football ground. 41,000 is the proper size football ground. <gasps> Perhaps not. Uh, especially when the seats feel as if they're on top of the pitch. I'll go back to that. King Roman, I beseech thee. It's difficult to do it no. when he says I beseech thee. Do not alter so much as a single brick of our sacred house of worship, Stamford Bridge. Ignore all arguments to expand or worse, to abandon it for a newer, shinier palace. Why? It has the right capacity for an authentic football ground. 41,000 is a proper sized football crowd, especially when the seats feel as they're on top of the pitch. When you watch games at so-called mega stadiums, they all seem soulless. The Etihad, the Emirates, Old Trafford, the new White Hart Lane, and the worst of all, the London Stadium. Keep the bridge the perfect size stage that it is. Presently nestled in the neighbourhood it has resided in for over a century. Yes, that matters. And it matters how the game is portrayed, both live and on telly. Revenue generated by television rights eclipses that from ticket sales. Well said. Club merchandise probably does too. Another good reason to keep the bridge as is, except for periodic refurbishments, to keep the place safe and deal with wear and tear and improve amenities for fans is that Chelsea will avoid invested billions that will then require Champions League football every season to fund it. That is the bet that Arsenal and Spurs made to justify building mega stadiums. You could argue the burden of debt service will have an impact on investing in the playing side. Big para. Keep Lamps and Jody for as long as possible. Everyone associated with Chelsea likes Lamps and Jody. Fans respect what they stand for and feel they represent the club wholeheartedly. The Chelsea job is not a stepping stone. This is the job both love to do. They trust each other implicitly. And we, as the faithful Blue Nation, trust both of them completely. And we are willing to be patient. Frank and Jody believe that if a player is good enough, then he is old enough. No longer will stellar talent be held back because a perceived more reliable import takes the fancy of an unreliable import of a coach. We are already seeing on the pitch the type of football we have all yearned to watch. Once the youth are experienced, then consistent willing will follow. It's a habit you learn like any other. So please end the chop and change era and let Frank and Jody grow as coaches. And in return, they will learn how to build outstanding Chelsea teams for uh, the foreseeable future. Hang on, I've just thrown my mouse on the floor. <clears throat> Our paragraph, focus almost exclusively on using talent groomed by the academy. 
The Academy has for years been identified for recruiting exceptional talent. That must continue and be strengthened. Rather like Ajax, the whole club should be geared to ensuring the very best will be groomed specifically to play Chelsea football for the first team. This should not be a hope. It should be an expectation. Ideally, your first team would be mostly made up of players who had been educated in the system and know their role on day one. As a result, you'll have a consistent, cohesive team who are able to trust each other and play together with more confidence. However, don't just limit recruitment to youth players from London. Systematically scout in Africa, Latin America, Europe, the Middle East. Establish a reliable network on a permanent basis that finds the next Drogba, Salah. Ronaldo or William as a youth. Better yet, establish schools of excellence so that players in these regions can get to know Chelsea and vice versa. Sounds expensive? Probably a lot less than the cost of the accumulated transfer fees and wages of players who proved to be a bust, such as Morata. And why will the youth continue to flock to Chelsea? Because Chelsea will have demonstrated that if you have the skill, have the right attitude and put in the work, there's a path to the first team as a, at a major European football power. Next para. Transfers in. If there are glaring holes in the squad, then of course Chelsea should act. But for a stable squad to prevail, limit new players to two per season at most. And they should be the quality of Van Dijk or Alisson or Mane that were recruited by Liverpool. We do not need a Wilfred Saha or a Paul Pogba. Kovacic and Jorginho were proved to be prudent purchases. Does Kepa qualify? Not so sure. Another paragraph. Supporters need to make their collective voice heard. This means getting behind the team vocally during games, even if the team is struggling. And off the pitch, supporters need to let the club know how you would like things to continue. Last but not least, once again, I have to thank you guys for putting out such an excellent, honest, authentic, tell-it-like-it-is podcast. I appreciate you don't sugarcoat your discussions about Chelsea. You never angrily batter them unfairly. Just intelligently point out their flaws when you see them. It is essential listening for me each week. Cheers, lads. Alex. Alex, thank you so much for the last paragraph. Um, what do we think about the other paragraphs, team? What do we think? I'm still I'm still swooning over the last paragraph. I've forgotten everything else. No, no, I'm joking. <laughs> Mate, I, I, Alex, I, I have to I have to say I agree with pretty much everything in that email. Um, I think I'm I'm more and more and more disposed to the fact that. Uh, you know, trying to do what we have to do with the stadium is an absolutely humongous white elephant. I'm I'm increasingly thinking that if the club... I, I mean, I just don't see how the economics work. I mean, I know that what Spurs have done with the new White Hart Lane has added £100 million a year to their coffers, which is a significant amount of money, let's be fair. But, you know, doing what we were going to do to Stamford Bridge... Uh, was not going to yield that kind of money because it's going to cost so much to do it because it's really complicated to do it. And I think the uplift is is really... I mean, it was 10,000 real fans, 10,000 corporates. So I don't know about that. The TV might... I mean, you know, match day income is still marginal compared to our commercial uh, and TV money. And I just think... I'm beginning to think that the negatives outweigh the, the positives. I worry that the club particularly Lawrence, Guy Lawrence, are more disposed to finding somewhere else to go and build a new stadium. Um, the only realistic, possibly realistic uh, location would be Earl's Court because that development will fall on apart 
that would just about be on the margins of acceptability. And I've always said, if you're going to move stadium, you've got to be got to be near enough to be able to drink in the same pubs that you used to, and Earl's Court will qualify. But I think Alex's point is that, that the bridge is special; it's unique, and maybe that that's some you know you're so close to the pitch still, and that's that's that that counts for a lot in my book. And maybe with the TV money, you don't need it. And I think particularly as he follows on to say, if you keep an identity of the club with people like Frank and Joe. I mean, I want Frank and Joe to stay as long as possible. I really don't care. You know, it's never been all about the success for me because I I support Chelsea when we didn't have any success. But if we can bring these young players through, this was always Roman's aim, which was to make the club self-financing. And if you're having to avoid spending stupid amounts of money on stupid transfers that don't work and you're doing it through your youth system, you're saving yourself a huge amount of money. So I think there's so much sense in that. And the last thing about the supporters, yeah, and transfers in when you need them. Of course, that goes without saying. Um, the only thing that's... I, I, well, I do agree with it. I think, you know, the supporters may, need to make their collective voice heard. But I'm afraid that, I'm afraid that, that, that uh, battle or war was lost a long time ago, Alex, and I never see that coming back. It's just that's gone at most big football clubs, I'm afraid. But basically, I give your email a solid 8.5 out of 10. Uh, Liam, what say you? Yeah, I mean, I think the stadium issue is uh, is probably no more difficult one facing Chelsea right now. Um, in in a vacuum, no, they don't need a stadium um, because they have an owner who is willing to spend whatever is necessary to, to have a winning team on the pitch. But in a system like financial fair play, Chelsea will be left behind if they don't in, find a way to play in a bigger stadium one way or the other because what what we saw in the most recent financial results is that without the safety net of Champions League football Chelsea are not a sustainable club at the elite level they are, they're still a sustainable club but they're just not a sustainable club with Europe's elite um, and what Arsenal's new stadium has done I think Arsenal are in a bad position after a few years outside the Champions League anyway. They've got a difficult road to try to walk now. Um, but they it, they would be in an even worse position if they didn't have the income from the new stadium. And, and Tottenham's next financial results, I know a lot of people at Chelsea are kind of bracing themselves um, for some very bad news when those results come out because Tottenham are about to feel the benefit of that of that shiny new stadium. Um, they, they already have, Liam. They're already above us in the Deloitte's Football League. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I can only see that. I can't see that changing unless it'll get bigger this year because of the uplift for the hundred million a year they're getting from the stadium. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then, of course, even when they're outside the Champions League, that will act as, as somewhat of a buffer. And that's what the main argument is for expanding Stamford Bridge. But on on a wider point, you know, how you feel about this broader trend is a different thing. We footballers uh, has has slaved itself to, to capitalism to such an extent that you know we've, we, we lost Highbury years ago, we've lost White Hart Lane, we've lost Upton Park, we're losing Goodison Park in a, in a few years now. Um, and I think it's really sad. You know, I, I used to really enjoy co- covering games at White Hart Lane and Upton Park because I, thought, I felt those stadiums had real tradition and heart and soul and they, they reflected the communities they were in. And, and while I must say, I think Tottenham have done a very good job with their new stadium, um, it, it, it doesn't feel quite the same. And you still get that feeling from Stamford Bridge because it is one of the, one of the originals. And, um, and I think it, even, if, you know, even if it's necessary to play in a, stadium, uh, in a bigger stadium to keep Chelsea where fans are used to seeing them, 
it will be a sad day if they if they have to leave or if they have to knock it down and, and start again. I, I really think that that you know what I you know I know, I know it's also the the added complication is old farts like me and J.K. with CPO shares, <clears throat> which makes the whole thing very complicated. But I, I really think that the club uh, would rather do that. They would rather find somewhere to to build a new stadium because they can do that for five hundred million, not a billion. Uh, and uh, you know you can understand the economic attraction of doing that because spending a billion because it's so complicated to rebuild Stamford Bridge uh, along the lines of the original idea. I just cannot see them. I think it, either nothing will happen and maybe we will slowly slip down and be less competitive, or they will up sticks and move it, and then there's going to be an almighty fight uh, with the CPO if they do that. So it's going to be messy and uh we're not going to be able to resolve it in this show but listen in for future shows and we'll try um i've got a very short but sweet one here jonathan um talking email of course from matthew Difronzo, which i think uh came into patreon but he says this zayic uh transfer news has me absolutely buzzing can't wait to hear you and the gang's thoughts also this surely vindicates ron's rumors no jonathan um Funnily enough, that's exactly what Ron said, was that after the transfer window, there would be a, a big announcement. So uh, uh, I think he was on the ball for that one, as he was actually on the ball for uh, the Kepper and Caballero situation, because they did try to buy Pope um, and it didn't run through. I think he was absolutely correct with that one. Um, and Giroud would have gone if there'd been a like-for-like -like replacement, as would Alonso. And the announcement that Emerson wants to get away which I think is a true one, isn't it, Liam? He's, he's asked to leave, was actually something that Ron came up with um, before Christmas because he said that he, he was deliberately asking for more money because he wanted out. He wants to, he's not enjoying playing in England. Is that something you've heard, Liam, about Emerson? Um, it's not something I've heard officially, no. Right. Uh, I, I've, seen, I've seen the whispers, but um, no, I've not heard that officially. I think... Obviously, we'll only get movement on that situation now at the end of the season. The end season, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'm sure. Um, I, I know Chelsea are looking to sign a left back. Yeah, yeah, we realised that. Yeah, didn't we? That was uh, somebody who was had a more attacking flair. Well, could do everything. Could attack centre like Rhys James and uh, and also defend, which unfortunately Alonso can't do. Which is, as I keep going on about it, such a shame because. Um, when he's attacking, he's completely wonderful. He's, he's uh, um, I, I say despair for Alonso, who was so brilliant in the Conte season and uh, is just not capable of playing very well in other tactical setups than um, than the overlapping fullback because he's so good in the penalty area. And you wonder if he could be accommodated somehow. I don't know where else he could play. He can't play midfield, can he? But uh, it's such a shame because he scores such wonderful. Okay. Yes, he should be, shouldn't he? He scores such wonderful goals. He really is on the ball for hitting the ball, you know, near the goal in a way that no, none of the others appear to be capable of doing. Um, but um, yeah, well, thank you. That's nice of um, yeah. Uh, it's nice of Matthew to. Uh, Talk about vindication. But uh, I think the, the problem was with the, the Ron's source was actually um, within the club. And these things were, um, were, I mean, truthfully, I didn't make any of them up. They really were handed to me by somebody um, who knew somebody in the club on a very high level. Um, but obviously, when you're dealing with transfers, no matter what you think is going to happen, isn't exactly whatever occurs. So, uh, um, but in a sense... 
part of it did. His big thing was to say there was going to be a uh, a big news story after the transfer window closed. And lo and behold, it's 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 this one. But I think that had been very much. In, oh, oh in, sorry, J.K. Yeah. Breaking news. Yeah. West Ham are two one up against Liverpool. I mean, well, it's, it's it's some time to go there, isn't there, Chidge? There's another half half hour, isn't there? Uh, yeah, they scored in the 55th minute. Yeah, Chich, it'll, Bloody be, hell. it'll be 4-2 to Liverpool. Don't worry. I'm just waiting for it to be taken away by VAR. Yeah, there'll be a VAR discussion. There'll be Liverpool goal where somebody falls over in the penalty area in the last minute or something. So. Um, anyway, look, Zayech. I'm really, I'm, I am buzzing for Zayech as well. I thought he was brilliant against us when we played he Ajax. Was phenomenal. And, and, and I'm excited, you know, and it was, it was a good value. You know, we didn't spend too much money. He's a good age. It's all really good, man. I'm loving it. Uh, Liam, are you you are you happy that Ziyech has uh, landed, as it were? I'm really happy because I thought long before it became um, clear that Chelsea were interested in him, I, he was one of my favourite players to watch in in Europe. He's he's a he's a silky left footer. When I when I play five aside, I'm left footed. I try to be silky, uh, so I have I have a soft spot for silky left footers. And uh, you know, I think Juan Mata was probably my my favourite Chelsea player for a long time. And I feel so like is your nickname when you play football Juan? Then, <laughs> um, well, maybe, maybe I don't know. I tend to resemble more Stuart Downing. I think when I'm running around the pitch. That's true. You, you, there is a similarity there, or, or Declan Rice, maybe. Yeah, De- I get a lot of Declan Rice, but he's yeah. he, he's a different profile of player to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're more creative right JK we've got a, an important email from our lovely lovely mate Russ Saunders from Melbourne Australia dear fan cast crew that's us on April 26th this year our Melbourne supporters club chairman Mr Daniel Thorne Forrest to his close Chelsea Melbourne mates will be running the London Marathon he loves doing these things has travelled to LA and NYC to do their respective marathons in the time I've known him probably more around the world but those are the two that sp- probably more around the world but those are the two that spring to mind as with the majority of runners for this event he's raising money for a chosen charity in Daniel's case he's running with Team Breathe and raising funds for the British Lung Foundation. He chose this charity as it relates to a member of the Melbourne Chelsea who sadly died at this time last year, Mr Terry Cork. He was just 59. Terry was a lifelong Chelsea fan who lived in Buckinghamshire, England. He was diagnosed with mesothelioma in 2013 and given six months to live. To quote the man himself, he said, I'm retiring and going on holiday. That's exactly what he did. Luckily for our club, he met a Melbourne-born lady in Perth during the Ashes tour in 2013-14, and whilst he was dating Debs, he would spend the British winters over in Melbourne. He became part of the furniture at our pub to watch matches for the next three of our summers until he was too unwell to travel. Beers at the 7am kickoffs midweek, he didn't discriminate, and why should you, as people work hard to brew beer and for it to be drunk. He and Debs often joked it was the beer that was staving off the illness and the inevitable. Terry was an active and social member within our club, which constitutes coming to organised events, and as mentioned earlier, the pub for matches. He always had a smile on his face. He was someone who you wanted to be around, and he got along with everyone. We have a lot of happy memories in the short time he was known to all of us in Melbourne. At the time of writing, Dan has attained 70% of his £1,900 target. So if any of your global listeners please feel like donating a few dollars stroke pounds, that would be greatly appreciated. 
please go to www.justgiving.com and type Daniel Thorne in the search box. His fundraiser should come up on the left. A photo of Dan in front of Lizzie's place in London. Keep the blue flag flying high, Russ. Terrific. Something really to, to give uh, a, a few squids to. Very good indeed. Definitely. Absolutely, definitely. I remember Russ talking about it last year, actually. That's a lovely tr- tribute, by the yeah, way, Russ. Brilliant. Uh, I hope that's, really, I hope that's, Russ, brilliant. I hope, hope that's touched a few... Uh, to, to a few people's hearts in uh, uh, who are listening to the show, but I'll definitely get in there and bung some shekels in there, mate. And good luck, uh, Dan, because uh, I'll tell you what, rather you than me running a bloody marathon, that's for sure. Uh, but well done, Russ. Hope you're well, buddy. Always lovely to hear from you uh, and see you, of course, which I did with my lovely uh, nephew at the Burnley game. Thank you very much for all the, uh, the swag you gave him, which he was delighted with. Um, right. We've got another email. Ah, this is from an old mate, Jonathan, our friend in St. Lucia, Kenroy Justin. And he says, hi, Chid, JK, and insert guest name here, Johnny Kidd. <laughs> it's Liam Toomey. There you go. And Benjito and Mixler. There you go. You're all getting a shout out in there as well. Um, he says, I'm just going to leave the following images right here. Then I'll put the beers on in the fridge for you. And he's the cheeky scamp has... Uh, uh, given us the weather in St Lucia, which is 27 degrees and mostly sunny, and it was 11 degrees in London and raining. That's just cruel. That is so. It's really horrible. Oh, Kenroy. Horrible man. Ken horrible Roy. man. Anyway, he says, "Well, look, we've just beaten Tottenham. How could I not write in? I literally emailed just to say that. And while I'm here, fuck Spurs. Quite right. Now, uh, two other things. Uh, sh- one, should we sell Kante? Yeah, I said it." Sell Kante, our only world-class player. The logic is that he is Pete. So do we cash in now while we can get 100 million to reinvest or wait and see what happens two years from now? I myself would keep him, but selling is not a bad option if the right offer comes in and he wants to go. We, we discussed that earlier, uh, Kenroy. We must have been reading your mind. We need uh, you to give the official, the official fan cast position on old El Nino. Fernando, what's his name? Torres. We all absolutely love him. But some, like Benjito, won't listen to reason when I say Torres will go down as a flop. Yes, he scored that goal against Barcelona. Hardly a classic goal, as he was in miles of space and had two days to get downfield <laughs> and take the keeper on one-on-one, even stop for a sandwich on the way to the goal. Truth is, Ramirez's goal that night was much more epic, wasn't it, Just? So Torres has also won the corner in Munich that led to Juan Mata crossing in for Drogba's header. He didn't start the game, and winning the corner is hardly the biggest part of that sequence. After all, we paid £50 million, so he could score from corners, not win them. Uh, even if we give Torres these two moments, plus his Europa League... It's like, what do the Romans ever do for us? Anyway, plus, Euro- plus his Europa League final goal, as his crowning Chelsea achievements in three and a half years, the question is whether he lived up to his price tag, and how close did he come to doing so? Well... Looking at Torres's stats make for some, makes for some sorry reading. Uh, the guy started 72 Premier League games and scored 20 goals. But look at his conversion rate, 13%. Costa, on the other hand, scored 20 in one season. And even Hazard, who wasn't a striker, has scored in double figures several times. So for £50 million, when that was still considered a lot of money, I can't ever see how that goal return makes him a success when we thought we were buying a goal machine. Let's not forget, he's still our second most expensive outfield signing. So more love to Nino, but we must be honest, he flopped. We won those trophies in spite of his performances, not because of them, apart from the Europa Europa League season where he did very well. So please talk sense into Benjito and Joachim. Finally, dudes, I'm enjoying this 
pick of a dog wearing glasses as a gift. See what you can do with it. Enjoy. Keep the fan class fan cars flying high. Kenroy D. Justin, always lovely to hear from you, Kenroy. And I, I'm going in reverse order. I'm looking at the picture of the dog, which sadly the listeners can't see, but it's a dog. Looks like a a, a golden retriever, wearing a suit, a brown corduroy suit with a grey tie and white shirt, with a pair of uh, kind of horn rimmed, well not horn rimmed, but r- r- rimless glasses. And I have to say, uh, Kenroy, it has a remarkable resemblance to Dr. Mart, does it not, Jonathan? <laughs> Do you not think? Uh, I think I think it looks like Martin, who used to do... He, he was you before you were you, if you see what I mean. I know exactly what you mean, Judge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it looks more like... Um, who was that BBC presenter um, uh, after David Coleman on Match of the Day? What was his name? Desmond Lynham, I think it was. Oh, that's, that's not a bad shout. There we go. We've done something with that. Uh, now, going back to... Well, we, 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 we said about Kante earlier on, but let's talk about Torres. I think... Here's my take on it, uh, Kenroy. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. But you see, here's the thing. Football's not just about money. It's not just about statistics. It's about emotion and passion. And while statistically and financially, Torres was an absolute bloody waste of space and a a flop, as you say. But emotionally and passionately, he he will always go down as the guy that scored that goal in Barcelona and uh, won us that corner in Munich and scored in a European final. And you look down in the entire history of Chelsea players, and there are not many players who did that. So you're right, technically, but emotionally, uh, you know, you've got to love Torres and say, well, his time with us was worthwhile. He also, he also put in a shift. He was absolutely, completely past his best when he got to us, probably hampered by an injury, but he never shirked. He always put in 100% and he tried his bollocks off. Compare that to Maratta. I would say Maratta was a flop, not Torres. Jonathan? Um, yes, he'll be remembered for those two events, but he was poor, Chidge. Let's he was be poor, frank. but that's not. You can't just look at it statistically and financially. That's my. No, point. I'm not. I'm not looking. I'm looking at the fact that when 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 he was selected, I used to go, "Oh God, okay then," um, as opposed to going, "Oh, great, Torres is playing," because he was clearly injured and clearly was not the player that he'd been. And- but he tried, mate. Minimum requirement, you put on a Chelsea shirt, you give 100%. He was, very, he, he was very glum, wasn't he? Because he knew he wasn't up to it, really. The man was going through torture. I know, he was, he was. He I mean, you're, you're really good at what you do. I, I mean, you, actually, let, let's just big you up for a moment. You're one of the best at what you do. Let's not beat around the bush here. Let's say you walk in tomorrow to the voiceover booth and you can't do it. How are you going to feel? Um, eviscerated. Yeah, well, that's probably how Torres felt. Yeah, but at least he had, he had... Well, I suppose the difference was that I'd have a go. Oh, I'd be like that, wouldn't I? Ha, ha. And they, I wouldn't then work again. The problem was is he carried on doing it. That was the yeah, thing. Yeah, good point. That's the difference. You know, no, I, I was always disappointed, I'm afraid. And um, he'd been fantastic for Liverpool and never replicated it ever. But yes, being the man who was involved in... Uh, and two seminal moments is great, but um, I felt he was another disappointment, I'm afraid. All right. Liam, uh, you can be the referee here. What say you? Well, he wasn't. He certainly wasn't a success. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> You're like John Lewis. Ever, ever, what was it? They're, they're never, never knowingly, knowingly undersold. undersold. Yeah, never, never, never knowingly understated. <laughs> so I'm, glad, I, I'm glad on a human level that he got that moment at the new Camp because... I think my enduring memory of the Torres era at Chelsea was just the kind of 
emotionally draining experience that it was for so many people at Stanford Bridge because you would constantly watch him in the kind of forlorn hope that he would become the player that he he once was and there would be occasional flashes he would score the occasional great goal or he would he would make the occasional fantastic run which reminded you of the way he just sort of used to cut through defenses um for Liverpool when he was I think for about a period of about 18 months from 2008 to 2009 the best striker in the world um but he was never that player at Chelsea for 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 more than a moment and um and I also think the the fact that Chelsea paid so much for him the fact that he was clearly an Abramovich kind of vanity purchase the last big Abramovich vanity purchase um actually undermined a succession of managers as well um I think it, I think it, it did for it did for Di Matteo. It was the reason why Benitez was brought in to try to revive him, um, and it also obviously before that it, it did for Ancelotti as well because it it, it helped unbalance that team. Um, so I think that it, it was a it was a messy period the, the the Torres era at Chelsea in which it was hard to it was hard to decipher the direction of the club, and it was also sad on a personal level for him because he seemed to be. It, more tortured than everyone by how badly it was all going. Um, but he did get that moment in the new camp. No one can ever take that away from him. And he, and he did get a Champions League winner's medal. Indeed, which is more than I've got. Uh, anyway, well done, Liam. That's a very good uh, objective analysis there, I think. Uh, right, last email from our, our mate Prasanth, uh, JK. Prasanth. <clears throat> Hello, lads. How are you all doing this bright and blue Monday? Uh, no, possibly not that voice. Right, good. <clears throat> Hello, lads. Liverpool have equalised. Sorry, breaking news. Yeah, Liverpool have well, equalised. Oh, cheers. Salah. Cheers. Of course they have. Fuck um, anyway. 4-2. 4-2. Uh, hello, lads. How are you all doing this bright and blue Monday? I'm writing this mail from a cool and chilly New York Penn station waiting to board my train to Harrisburg after spending a weekend in Brooklyn. Oh, lovely. Whenever I make a trip to NYC, I always make sure I have my Chelsea shirt, scarf and go to a bar to watch the game. This time around, it was us playing spuds. And this was after a heartbreaking 2-0 defeat to United just a few days back. I had to watch that game on a flight from San Francisco to Philadelphia. And my co-passengers were not happy as I was fuming at every wrongful decision and our attack being toothless. I felt cheated by the result and some of our individual performances like Batshuayi, William in particular, were beyond abysmal. I know VAR officials screwed us up badly with multiple decisions, but in the end, I'm sure karma will take its due action on United. Oh, if only that was so. Now coming back to the weekend, the Spurs game was a relatively early kickoff, 7.30am, and my first beverage was a beer in a local bar, Black Swan, here in Brooklyn. I got in nice and early, and my, to, my, to my surprise, I was outnumbered by Spurs fans. And they'd also taken my Liverpool friend with me. He was there to just watch us fight amongst ourselves while he was celebrating his first PL title in 30 years. As the team lineups came out, we were surprised to see Barkley get a start ahead of William. But again, I thought when the stakes are down, Chelsea usually step it up. Talking to the Spurs fans, they were not too excited by their lineup and were also just hoping for a goal, let alone a win. The team started out bright brightly, and the pressing from our front three was simply outstanding. We didn't give them an inch to breathe. I was just praying we make this pressure count, and boom, Ollie G with a ripping finish 
after a beautiful ball from Jorginho. Ha! The pattern continued and we just kept pressing them and our midfield two of Jorginho and Kovacic in particular were fabulous. We just needed to kill off the game with the second goal. The defence held strong with Christensen bullying the Spurs attackers by being physical and decisive. Willie made a few smart stops too. Overall, I was pretty satisfied with the half and made sure I turned to the Spurs fans and was bantering them. You've won fuck all. But to my would have been you won fuck all. But to my surprise, they seemed even more frustrated at the way the team was playing. And few were from England, and we we were casually chatting about how we'd become fans of our respective clubs. So it was pretty intriguing. Second half started and bang, what a build-up for the goal. A Juru flick, Mason with the fake, pass to Barkley who rolled it to Alonso. What a peach of a strike. Yes, 2-0. I was elated. Me too. The game went on at a pedestrian pace and then one of the most outrageous VAR calls happened. How in the world can can an official take a look at replays and not give a red card? Imagine if we drop points the way officials do us game after game in really sick is really sickening. I know plenty will be discussed about this. I'm eager to listen to what the panel thinks. Yeah, bloody hell, I think you've got it. Overall, I was satisfied with the way we played this game. It was an important three points. However, I wasn't happy with our lack of a clean sheet. And Rudiger in particular was shaky whenever he was on the ball. And Willie made some important saves, but doesn't give me confidence at times with his decision making. No. Barkley was neat and tidy, but it was Mason Mount who stole the show and was my man of the match. Yeah, it's great. All in all, a good weekend and we have a healthy four-point lead. Now we turn our attention to Bayern on Tuesday. All I want is a performance to be proud of. Hope Frank can get his team selection right and the players give their best. Love the pod and, as always, keep the blue flag flying high. Regards, Prashanth. Prashanth, sorry. Well done. Great, great stuff. And I see summing up of the game, really. Yeah, I think he summed up the show as well, really. Well done, uh, Prasanth. As always, lovely to hear from you. Uh, if you want to have an email read out and uh, share with us and the listeners your wise words to make up for the nonsense we talk, then uh, I welcome them with open arms as long as you get them in before Monday. Uh, if you get them in on a Monday, you might miss the cut because it depends when I put all this together, um, which is quite often in the morning. So uh, do send them in before Monday, and they will get read out on the show. We read them out. We just don't care. Even if the show's 18 hours long, we will still read them out, uh, which is great for me and Jonathan. Not so great if you're Liam and you've had a hard day at the office, but there you go. Right. um, Anyway, the email address, chelseafancast at gmail.com. There you go. Very simple. Now, that is all we've got time for this week. Uh, We will be back next week. Of course, we'll be back next Monday where Jonathan and I will be joined by a mystery guest, because I haven't done the schedule yet, but uh, I'll get on that this week. Uh, Now, before that, we'll be back on Love Sport this Friday, where Jonathan Kidd and me, Jonathan, I'm turning up for a change on the Love Sport Friday. Yes, just you and me, mate. How about that? Will you be a hologram? No, I will be real, real, live and direct. So there you go. I'm in the studio with JK. Be like old times. I I feel like I feel like I've you know like I, I've been kind of visiting my own funeral the last few weeks. It's been very bizarre and weird and not an enjoyable experience. But uh, so I can't wait to be uh, back with you and Matt Beadle at seven o'clock on Friday talking Chelsea, 
do give it a listen, people. And don't forget that, of course, I always do uh, the Sunday Love Sport Breakfast Show between 8 o'clock in the morning and 12 o'clock at lunchtime every Sunday with the lovely Paul Mortimer, who has learned very quickly that the best way to make entertainment on a Sunday morning is to hand a grenade, metaphorically speaking, to me with the pin released and then watch me explode because it happens every Sunday. It's very funny. Uh, I came up with two great things this week. Uh, this weekend, one was that uh, because we talked about boxing the whole time, I said that because Paul used to be a coach as well as a football player, I said I think what you should do is you should basically in coaching randomly go around and punch players really hard in the nose to see if they can think clearly. Because we were talking about the boxing and it's really hard to think strategically when you've been hit square on the nose. Because if you ever have been hit square on the nose, it really hurts and it discombobulates you. And I said you should do that on on football coaching to see how they react under that kind of pressure. And the other thing I thought was that if your team is like getting absolutely walloped four or five nil, you know, I think the manager or the fans should have the right to throw in the towel. You know, if we can't take any more punishment or psychological torture, or if our very existence is under threat, throw in the towel and then we can all go to the pub early. I think these would be great additions to football myself, but there you go. Uh, anyway, uh, phone in, join the show, either of them, uh, debate with us all live. The number to call is 0208 70 20 558. Uh, and of course Love Sport is a national radio station now and it's broadcast on your DAB digital channels uh, but it's also on Radio Player tune in lovesportradio.com and uh, our Friday show comes out as a podcast very shortly after the live show on the radio as are all our shows on chelseafancast.com Acast, Apple, Soundcloud, Spotify and other podcast distributors and talking of which uh, you can also find us and other inferior Chelsea podcasts on the CFC Blues app as they so eloquently put here. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. Right, you can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stanford Cheers, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd, Liam at Liam underscore Toomey. And by the way... I know it's money, but I tell you what, it's a good investment. Go and download the uh, Athletic app because the the quality of the writing there is brilliant, and uh, they they can go into it in real depth. Uh, it's great, Liam. I, I'm not. I know I'm bigging you up, but I think it's a brilliant idea. I'm fortunate to be working with a lot of amazing people, um, and the the quality of the stuff that we put out on a daily basis um, astounds me. So. Um, yeah, I, I personally think it's good value, although I am even more biased than you. Um, yeah. And what I would also say is that if anyone who hasn't signed up wants to sign up, you can get a 40% off discount um, on a year's subscription by using the code that accompanies our Chelsea podcast, which is, um, which is straight out of Cobham. We launched just before Christmas. Uh, I think it, I think it's quite a good accompaniment to the Chelsea fan cast and London is blue and 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 the, the you know the Chelsea fan podcast because it's it's just me Simon Johnson uh, Don Fifield Matt Davis Adams you know we basically the view from the press room um, mm. on, on on what's going on at Chelsea and obviously what we're hearing and what we're writing it's about half an hour it comes out every Tuesday. Um, so yeah, that and that's free to subscribe to as well. But you do get the discount code for for an athletic subscription with it. May I say, I mean, as a listener um, and your agent, you're very very good in it. <laughs> Thanks, J.K. I wouldn't it's a very good. It's a really good agent. listen. It's really excellent. It's a really good listen, everybody. Really worth it. Really good. 
It is. It's it's absolutely brilliant. It would be even better if I was presenting it. But other than that, it's absolutely brilliant. But uh, I'm glad we trained you so well, Liam. It's clearly all that training has shown, you know. But uh, no, j- joking joking aside, it's great and uh, well done. I love you and Simon and Dom anyway. I could listen to you, uh, you know, all day, uh, and uh, I, I absolutely love it. So well done. Straight out of Cobham. Good title too, as well. Actually, I like that. Um, other Chelsea fancasters on Twitter are at Joe Tweedy at Goalie Fifty Nine at Gross Jack UK at Gate Seventeen Marco at Mar- Martin Wickham at Dan Silva 73, who I got very pissed with on Saturday, at CFCGWLB at Dean Mears, and some other friends of ours who write for us are at Nick Stradley at Clitheroe Blue and at Dean Mears. I just mentioned him, he gets two mentions. And a big thank you to the wonderful Dane Whittle, who's taken over the job of managing our Instagram account because I don't understand Instagram, and that we're at Chelsea Fancast on there. He's doing a cracking job, so do go and follow us there. I'm going to get Dane to debut on a show soon, Jonathan. Oh, yeah. Yep, he's quali- he's qualified because he's I mean he's doing lovely work for us on Instagram number 1, but I have had beer with him at the football. And as you well know, that is the qualification. How many pints that's how many this- pints did he get you? He's bought me loads over the years. Well, that's good. So, you perfect. Know, he yep, he qualifies as a fancaster because he's had beer I I have had beer with him at a football match. That is the qualification. It's very very simple. Uh, so there you go. Right, I've had great fun tonight. Um, always great having uh, Liam on and, uh, you know, accessing his font of knowledge about all things Chelsea. Liam, it's been a pleasure as always, mate. It's been a pleasure to be back. Hopefully I'll come, hopefully I'll come back after the next hugely earth-shatteringly significant Chelsea game to talk about it. Well, indeed. Well, I shall be releasing the schedule this week, so make sure you get back to me and let me know when you're free. Always good having you on. Uh, Jonathan, I'm really looking forward to seeing you on Friday, man. Brilliant. Me t- Can't wait. Me too. We'll be able to, to uh, dissect the Bayern game. Wow. Brilliant stuff. Indeed. And guess what? Like Liam, uh, I will literally be straight out of Cobham. You'll have been there, will you? Straight from there. I'm, straight down. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to Cobham on Friday afternoon to do an interview. So, oh, uh, okay. I sh- yeah. And I can't tell you who... Oh, well, is that press day? It is, isn't it? That will be, yeah. It depends what time you're there, but the the, the press conference is I'm, usually. I'm there at two. Right, yeah, that'll be slightly after when the press conference is, but we might we might cross paths. Our paths may cross. I might get some hot hot uh, hot takes. I think is the uh, expression the youngsters use. Isn't well, it? that very much depends on who you're interviewing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not actually interviewing anybody who can tell me anything about uh, what's going on uh, on the pitch, sadly, but. Uh, uh, I, I can't tell you about it until I've done it, so I'm going to say nothing. But I, I shall be there. I may, I, hopefully, I'll see you, Liam, and all the other, all my other old muckers and the journalists that I know. So there you go. Right, we've got to go because otherwise um, I'll never get to bed tonight. Um, it's been brilliant fun tonight. Loved having you on, uh, both of you. Look forward to seeing you uh, on Friday, JK. Thank you so much to all the wonderful people in Mixler who have contributed tonight in their droves, as they all do. It's lovely to see so many of you in there. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it chills. Up the chills! It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 